0: Welcome aboard the battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. What did you think was going to happen there?
1: I, I did that on purpose. I know you did. <laughs> I'm David Bax. I'm eating chips. And thank you for listening, though I'm sure you regret it. Okay, so it's okay. Cinco I'm not. De Ma- I'm not going to do that again. But yes, as on the recording, it is Cinco de Mayo. We have guests. I thought it'd be fun since we don't usually record on Saturdays. But to uh, you know, normally on a Saturday afternoon, I'd be I'd be drinking somewhere anyway. So I figured let's just make this a little party we got some cervezas, we got some chips and salsa um, I'm, we're gonna try not to eat on mic we've already killed about half the bowl of chips before we even started so I, I think I should say I've already killed about half the bowl of chips so anyway um, that hopefully that crunch will hopefully be the last one that you have to suffer through but we'll see. It's going to be a fun time.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My guess is, the more the more cervezas are consumed, the more crunching you'll hear. Because I don't <laughs> think uh, you guys are going to care quite so much. <laughs> I got like, oh, a hell with it. It's I got great. enough for
1: us each to have two beers. I think we can all, except for one of our guests who already showed up half in the bag. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we'll be able to keep our composure. But as I mentioned, we had guests. Should we? attend to podcast business. Yeah, I think so. Real quick. So I want to first... Uh, I've gotten a lot of emails recently about people liking their tweakedaudio.com earbuds. Oh, okay. A- yeah. And and some tweets of people saying, like, can't wait to order one, you know, or, uh, wow, what a deal, I think someone said. I don't know if someone Mother's said... Mother's Day is coming up, they tell me. Yeah. Mother's Day is coming up. My girlfriend's birthday is coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, if you want some high-quality earbuds uh, in a variety of... Uh, styles and mm-hmm. colors. You go over to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, and uh, that right there. You don't have to put any offer codes or anything. All the work's done for you. Go to okay. tweakedaudio.com dot com slash pretension, and it's a third off the the normal price and free shipping uh, for for any order. They have they have earbuds. They also have watches, mm-hmm. which I. I haven't, uh, I haven't used one of the watches, but if, if it's from the same maker as these high-quality earbuds, I, I'm going to vouch for these watches. I got myself a Timex
0: right here, uh-huh. so I
1: don't need a watch yet, uh-huh.
0: but you never know. When this runs out, there's no question I'm going to go to tweakedaudiocom slash
1: and get yourself, get myself a watch, some watches, some watches. Oh, at least multiple, one. Watches. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that 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 deal still stands, and will uh, uh, I say it will for the foreseeable future, but you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, we could, you know, there could be some sort of big falling out between us and Bruce, or you know, I uh, see that coming on the horizon. <laughs> I've been I've been reading the emails, so I would, even though we've been doing this for a while, and will for the foreseeable future. I would head over to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension now. Even if you have working earbuds that you think are going to give out in a few months, don't wait. Go ahead and secure yourself. I'd say your next six, maybe, cycles of earbuds. Go ahead and buy six earbuds mm-hmm. at, uh, well, I guess 12 earbuds, six sets, uh, at tweakedaudio.com slash pretension.
0: Okay. So that uh, that's one of our sponsors. David, <laughs> we got another one. All right? I know it. It's a movie called Sleep Debt. That's
1: D-E-B-T. What else could it be? That's, there is no debt. Well, if you're saying death with an Irish accent, it kind of sounds like debt. Okay. so Let me see if I could do this with it. No. You know what? <laughs> I owe it, we owe but no, we just our sponsors need to, more than that. We just need to clarify that this is not an Irish film called Sleep Death. It's called right. Sleep Debt. It could still be an Irish film. Right, but it's about uh, I, an Irish. I don't think anything I said that sleep. implied that it wasn't an Irish film. I said it right. wasn't an Irish film called. I want to
0: heavily imply that it is an Irish film.
1: <laughs> it, it, you know what? The guy, our contact, his name is
0: Patrick. Think about that. Okay, I, all, I, I,
1: all Irishmen are named Patrick.
0: We'll get to that a little bit later. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite comical. Um, all right, so I'm going to read this thing. Here we go and i'm not and that's the thing as i've not seen the film i i wish that i had cuz it it looks interesting but uh, so i can't speak to you know I don't want to give the impression that I'm saying like, this movie's great, or I don't like this movie, but they paid me, so I'm saying it either way. I kind of like that I'm objective about this. So I will just describe it. Sleep debt is a low-budget feature in the vein of classic Twilight Zone episodes. When a disturbed man is visited by vivid dreams, which which turn out to be another person's consciousness, he must discover his connection with the stranger before it is too late for them both. Sleep debt is available online through Amazon.com. You can also go to sleepdebtmovie.com or there is a, a banner ad. Again, we don't like calling it that because it's... just
1: it's an ad on
0: the right side of the an screen. An ad on the right side of the screen of com. Uh, it, it looks very interesting. It's only $10. And so uh, support independent filmmaking, which we'll get to a little bit later. Support independent filmmaking. Spend $10. Get yourself a copy of Sleep Debt.
1: Um, and the last thing, please, uh, before we wrap up the podcast business... Uh, please go to battleshipretention.com I mean, please go in general it's a great website Absolutely. lots of great movie reviews theatrical and home video reviews all the time constantly but go over to the right side it'll be a little bit above the sleep debt ad mm. uh, button that says survey so you take that uh, take it's that survey it's a big
0: monolithic button that says survey and uh, no it's fine um, and so yeah it, it helps us to know more about you um, it'll ask you know about uh, age gender just so that we know who our listeners are and uh I and spe- looking at the survey so far, I will say uh get your female friends involved <laughs> <'Cause>, uh, <laughs> uh we we've got it covered as far as uh, the male base
2: there. yeah
1: yeah, look yeah we've got um well, what we need more of listening are uh over thirty um Non-college graduate, unemployed. female, unemployed conservatives. Yeah, that's what we need more of because we don't we, have. We could really go for some co- Buddhists, some Hindus, and <laughs> yeah. some
0: Muslims. As yeah. of right now, we've got some Christians, a lot of uh not religious people, <laughs> and I think a Jewish
1: person. Uh, a, a Jewish person. Yeah. Um, so. So, uh, we'll, we'll get into, well, let's get into the, uh, demographics of our, uh, guests here. We'll ask them, we'll ask them all the questions. We'll ask them about their age, their religious affiliations, uh. Oh, wow, that's really something. Their, yeah, their, their <clears throat> level of education. No, we're not gonna do that. But, um, you mentioned low budget filmmaking with, uh, mm-hmm. our sponsor, Sleep Debt. Another, um, fantastic low budget film that you. Um, have definitely heard of if you've been listening to Battleship Retention for the past year or so, it, uh, it was on Tyler's top 10 of 2011. It was number 10. It just barely made it in. <laughs> That's, so, uh, it's a, I don't probably, think that was a necessary That thing. was probably a
0: choice that I made uh, knowing that they were going to be on. I okay. totally sold out
1: at this um, point. The film is called Entrance. Uh, the directors, whose names I should have asked about pronunciations beforehand, good call, is uh, uh, Patrick Horvath.
3: Yeah, Horvath.
1: Horvath yeah. and Dallas Hallam. Yes, Hallam. Yeah. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much glad for having to be us. Here. Thanks for sitting there silently. You didn't even crunch any chips. If I were you, I would have used that seven and a half yeah, minutes to eat all the <laughs> chips.
3: No, no. And I, I was taking large breaths to the side. Uh, so
1: I was trying to be professional. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks for having yeah, us. Glad to be here. Um, now, uh, you're here
0: because
3: we like. The, by the way, the plot for sleep debt sounds really cool. Actually, no. yeah, I thought. No. that... I'm 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 intrigued.
0: I did. I guess I'll I'll ask him now. Hey Patrick, yep. send me a copy of Sleep Debt.
3: <laughs> not this one. <bad. laughs>
0: yeah. No. Yeah. Sorry. Not this, this is, one. This this is the other the one. Irish the, Patrick. Yeah.
1: But it's it's actually. <laughs> I recognize that shipping from bigger.
0: Ireland will be expensive, but you know that's fine. So, um, <laughs> Patrick
1: yeah. Patrick Horvath, mm. saying
4: it right? Yeah, you are. Yeah, it's yeah. Hungarian for. uh Croatian. So, if we were in Hungary, my name would be Patrick Croatian. Basically,
1: huh. <laughs> um, I like that. Uh, is there
4: Irish ancestry as well? Not at all. No. No. A little bit of Welsh uh, and Scottish and Hungarian, basically.
3: But not Croatian. Not Croatian. Oh, yeah, no. well,
4: you know what I mean. Yes, right. Croatian um, okay. by way
1: of uh, Hungary. Oh, okay. And Dallas, your name. Where does it come from? Um,
3: well, Hallam is uh, f- comes from Hallamshire. Which is a It's for the is, Hobbits It's for the <laughs> Hobbits <laughs>
2: it,
3: It's in Yorkshire, England So uh, Hallam, the, the Hallams come from Hallamshire You should keep
1: it Hallamshire
3: That's fun to say <laughs> Well, I'd have to change it to Hallamshire I mean I didn't Yeah, do that I was born in Hallam Yeah, I'm saying Was that, change change? that in Ellis yeah.
1: Island or, or like an immigration change? Uh, get,
0: I, you know, I have no idea
3: I love I stories
1: no about Ellis Island because um, it
0: everything about it is just like the laziness of American security, <laughs> versus is like, Hallam Shah,
1: I've lost interest already. You're Hallam now. Uh, well, my family's name, I don't know. I think they came over in the late 1800s, so a little bit before the Ellis Island time. But our German family name was Bach, not Bax. And ah. I guess maybe they, the Germans hit that CH a little too hard and they were like, ah, sounds like, sounds like <laughs> something. Uh, <laughs> sounds like an X. So that's how I became a Bax. I know nothing about my family history.
3: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of Hallams in Pennsylvania, so mm. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, but I I think I know that my dad is f- was doing like a family history thing recently and found somebody in the Revolutionary War. So we oh. Hallams have been here for a while.
0: So um, uh, which side?
3: Well, uh, I believe with the rebels.
0: All right.
1: So I
3: can stay
0: here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> don't tread on me, Hallam. <laughs> um. <laughs>
1: I want to ask you guys more about where you're from and how you got out here and got to make your film, but I kind of want to bring up some more serious, uh, a serious thing. Oh, indeed. Um, just yesterday, um, Adam York or MCA from Beastie Boys, uh, passed away. And I just wanted to take a second to talk about, I mean, not only were the Beastie Boys amazing and had, um, you know, it related to film, amazing music videos, you know, Spike Jones directing stuff like the, uh, the Sabotage video, um, and their collection of their videos is available through the Criterion Collection. Um, uh, also, you know, very active in uh, uh, social and world issues. And uh, Tibetan freedom was a pet cause of the Beastie Boys in general, and Adam Yock in particular. But also a co-founder of Oscilloscope, or Oscilloscope, I'm not sure how you say it. Laboratories. It oscilloscope. Um, laboratories, a distri- dist- film distribution uh uh, company that put out some of the most uh, amazing indie stuff over the past few years from uh, I'm looking at Dear Zachary, Wendy and Lucy, mm-hmm. Treeless Mountain, uh, Burma Vijay, which is amazing, um, The Messenger, Orrin Moverman's uh, mm-hmm. film, uh, The Exploding Girl, a film unfinished, uh, uh, I Knew It Was You, uh, Meek's Cut Off, Exit Through the Gift Shop.
3: Oh, wow. I didn't know they did Meek's um, off. They did Bellflower.
1: Yeah, Bellflower, Rare Exports, Dark Days, uh, uh, the other F word we need to talk about, Kevin was a recent one, uh, shut up and me. play yeah. the hits I've heard of. Really cool. So like, obviously this guy was not just, a a good, you know, uh, s- snotty New York, uh, punk rocker turned, uh, snotty New York rapper. He was, uh, a contributor to, I think, uh, a lot of different walks of, uh, great American culture.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of great films in there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I was talking about this with a friend of the show, Jay Sneakin last night that, um, it's, I, I, I like the Beastie Boys. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I love them if for no other reason, because I'm, I don't know their stuff that well. What I've heard, I like quite a bit, but more specifically, the, the stuff I know, I know from many years ago, like as so many mm-hmm. people our age, like when I started listening to my own music, which is to say once I started, you know, when I started just copying what my brother listened to, uh, the Beastie Boys was was one of them. Um, License to Ill, specifically, was the one. I, everyone likes Paul's Boutique, and that's fine. But uh, for some reason, I think that's...
1: I like License to Ill. That's the one I started with. And uh, Really? See, I I started with Ill Communication because of because of my age. I just knew, mm-hmm. like, Sure Shot and Sabotage were on the radio at the time mm-hmm. that I was getting into music. And I think I went sort of backwards to License to Ill. But then you have an older brother, so that probably yes. makes sense that he would have been into this. Yes. And... Uh, and it
0: is kind of a, a a strange thing, and this might even sound uh, a little—I don't know—a little uh, self-centered, but it made me realize, oh wow, we're getting older. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Like it just, and I—I I don't even say that like like in a in a in a humorous way. It's just, admittedly, forty-eight is very it's young. young. It's a very young age. <laughs> I you thought he was
1: forty-seven. No, I'm I, I am so, yeah.
3: right there.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, um, but he's at that age where I mean he died of natural causes. This isn't a Kurt Cobain situation, you know where a, a flame out or something like that, who you know one could say like died of intense youth um, and, and that sort of thing uh, and it's just it's kind of strange and, and I had a moment thinking like this is going to happen a lot more, like yeah, my the idols, the people that that influenced me artistically in some way it's going to happen more and more this
3: is the yeah this is the first pop culture icon death that it's affected me and I don't know how long. I mean, mm-hmm. not to sound um cold, but I mean I, I wish Whitney Houston no ill will, but I just right, I, yeah. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, I mean I care that anyone dies. I'm I'm sorry that she died, but I mean in terms of my connection to her artistically, mm-hmm. there just was no I didn't feel
0: anything, you know, in that sense. Um and she, also if even if you did, uh which I I didn't that much. I wasn't necessarily a fan but I recognize that she was an icon but even so I recognize the nature it. of her death was a self inflicted thing I don't mean to say it was a conscious choice mm-hmm. but it's still that kind of flame out quality this is totally natural causes mm-hmm. um, and that but yeah, that was I, I don't harrowing think,
3: I haven't felt like gotten you know the goosebumps at I just listening to the radio doing the dishes when I heard this and I got goosebumps and you know I'm not I bear no grudge against sports but I have I don't Pay attention to sports. So when was, when an athlete something happens to athlete, I don't feel it really. And like I said, Whitney Houston, or a lot of times actors are really old in their seventies or eighties when they die. This was the first time in a long time where I was like, kind of rattled my youth a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I know exactly what you mean. It made me feel like I'm getting older. Yeah.
1: But uh, the the thing is, we we're, I mean, we're talking about obviously the influ- influence that uh MCA and the Beastie Boys had on us in our youth, but. um as reading that list of oscilloscope films, like, he was still contributing. And Beastie Boys were still putting out uh, pretty good music. I mean, mm-hmm. the Hot Sauce Committee stuff is pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, the, you know, I I don't necessarily just want to talk about him as his past influence, but this is someone who, like, I think there's, in some way, there's an immediate cultural uh, change um, for the worse for his having died.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and I and I can't think of anything really to add to that. But right. it's just it's and we've talked about this before when it's when it's like an older actor and this sounds maybe a little callous, but like when it's an older actor, an older filmmaker who's you know not really putting stuff out anymore, then it's just like oh that's a shame that they passed away, but clearly they their their contribution has been made.
1: Yeah, Levon Helm just recently died, and I, the band was great. Uh, yeah. but I mean, a, I think we. Not that we I mean, people knew that Adam Yauch had cancer, but I think we knew that the end was coming for Levon Helm. He was mm-hmm. in his uh, mid seventies, I, I think. There is a sense of it's still sad. Yeah, but it's not rattling is the word that Dallas used that I like. Yeah, it's
0: the, the realization is like there. Are, there's probably another fifteen to twenty years worth of material that we're not going to have now, mm-hmm. and that is that. The whole thing is sad from a from a human perspective, and then from from an, an art lovers perspective and music lovers perspective. That is particularly. Heartbreaking, mm-hmm. knowing that it is a life cut short and a mm-hmm. and a uh, a career career sounds almost too too cold. It's <laughs> you know artistic expression cut short by this.
1: Okay, well let's let's move back into the show. I just thought right. that was worth mentioning on a on a film show. Um, so you guys, you, you say you're from Pennsylvania. No, I'm from Alabama. Oh, okay.
3: Uh, there's and, Hallam's in Pennsylvania.
1: I see. And you? I grew up in Iowa. Iowa. So what's uh uh, where did you guys go to school? Where did you guys meet, and uh, when did you come out here? Well, We met in Iowa. Um,
3: I moved there. Well, so I started school in. A- Hi, how are you? <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> my wife Jen just walked in. That's <laughs> see,
1: uh, I could Gall- have guessed that at the, at that point, I could have guessed you were from the South that you did that because <laughs> that I think is it, a very. <laughs> I think most people like would have stayed in, and I know I, that's. I'm not making fun. I think that's an awesome thing that you. Yeah. Couldn't like even though we're in the middle of recording, you <laughs> I just could not let it strange. go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was awesome.
3: So I started school in Birmingham, where I'm from, and then I finished school in Iowa. So I moved to Iowa, uh, my soft the end of my sophomore year, and went to the University of Iowa, which is where I'm at, Pat, in film school.
4: Yeah, I remember I sat down in an editing bay one seat over from you before I'd even met you, mm-hmm. and I was being really weird. To the I remember being weird enough to get your attention.
3: You were being weird.
4: Yeah. Um, but uh, I was just really psyched about a cut that I had made. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember being like, yeah! But uh, he, and then, you know, you sort of looked and you were happy. You know, he's like, well, he seems happy what he's doing. Uh, but uh, it took at least... It took it almost like a whole semester before we even got to know each other because we were in both the same class. But I remember seeing Dallas walking around, and I'd had classes with him before you know, before I knew him, um, but he was just a good-looking dude. Uh, he, he was in full-on James Dean mode at the time, um, and uh, it was the last thing a single dude needed on campus was to have a Dallas Hallam walking around.
1: Um, uh, James um, Dean, Rebel had a Cause, or James Dean, East of Eden? Were we wearing three-piece suits? Uh, no, no, Rebel a <laughs> no, 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 Cause. I, Rebel Without a Cause. I used to have, cause. like... Populated white yeah back, white shirt sideburn. blue jeans that
4: almost all the time uh, and we used to be all smoked you know <laughs> like chimneys back then
2: but that was a good dude. time
3: we we did you know we had the thing, the way, the way a lot of film schools work is you'll kind of end up on a track. And then mm-hmm. once you get going with that track, you end up with the similar people throughout mm-hmm. the school. And then there's like ebbs and flows as you like take a sound class and someone else does this and then you come back together. So when I first started school, I had to go through, there's like a. Um, An introduction to media production, they called it, class. that Everyone has to take, and that's like the gateway to where after that, you can then start taking the actual production classes that you came to school for. So we weren't in the same introduction class. But then after that, I think we pretty quickly got on the same track because we worked on each other's films from then on out.
4: Yeah, we did. I think it was film theory, though, that we really got in. Yeah, I wasn't even, no, that's right, because we, that's where we had met was in film theory. Mm -hmm. And uh, because you guys had all jumped on the film pro. And then I. Oh yeah, yeah, and,
3: that's yeah. right, that's right. Great film theory class. I, I University of Iowa is just a hotbed for film theory. Not so much. I mean, the film production classes were great.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: They're not like out here, you know. They're they are you and a Bolex, and you're being pushed to really ex- like take your art as deep as you can go, and you. I kind of wish in a way they had a couple classes on what to do when you get to LA because I spun my <laughs> wheels for
1: ten years until I figured it out. It um, was a
4: real hard transition. It's an
3: artsy school.
1: Yeah. And that's like yeah.
3: you know, that's their bread and butter. I
1: think I think where Tyler and I went is kind of the exact opposite. Like they're not except for maybe some classes, they're not interested in your vision. It's in a lot of ways, Columbia College, Chicago is essentially a trade school. Mm-hmm. And that's why you get people come out here and work. They don't necessarily become the voices of their generation if, I'll say I, I feel like this
0: is and correct me if, if I'm wrong but the impression that I got is if you were a sound guy or you were a dp or you were an editor if you if you were in one of those specific fields you will get a job yeah. from out of columbia, we, columbia if right you are yeah. a writer or a director then they're like all right here you know write your scripts make your movies will you know will will help you along the way uh, and then it's like, all right, how do I actually, uh, you know, get a job doing this? Like, I, I, I'm not following you. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we knew people who went, like, were at Iowa and like, this is too artsy. And they went,
3: they went back, people from Chicago, because there's a lot of cross-pollination between Iowa City mm-hmm. and Chicago. Yeah. yeah. And they went back to Columbia because they wanted to go somewhere that was taking production more seriously. Mm. Um, that mm-hmm. said, I wouldn't trade the experience for the world. No, I, mean, it was, I
4: think it was a lot stronger. Uh, I think it definitely... I mean, for myself personally, it definitely made me into the person that's constantly analyzing what it is that we're trying to get at, not so much like, does it look like Tony Scott's Domino? Right. Like, uh-huh. but, but I'm, and I only bring that up because I had a... Is
0: that where you jump first? <laughs> no. It's just like, is this... I only bring less, it up... Is this more or less than Domino?
4: <laughs> I only bring it up because we had a... Uh, Uh, I used to work at a video store back in Chicago for like three years during my angry young man period after college. Which um, which video store? Specialty video. There's two of them in Chicago.
1: The one on Broadway?
4: Uh, Yep. I worked at Broadway in Andersonville. Lived in Andersonville. Oh, yeah. Um, But uh, uh, we had this uh, customer who would always come in, and he taught at the Palm. And he was sitting in – he was teaching film, and he was a, a sound editor out here and then would go back and take teaching gigs wherever they offered. So he was into Paul teaching, and he became a regular at the video store, talked to him a bunch. We'd sit and chat for a half an hour, just about film. And he had mentioned to me, he's like, you know, I sat in on a, a friend's class who was teaching, and they were showing clips, um, and one of them had done this shot-for-shot opening of Domino. And the effects were spot on, you know, they looked perfect. And after they were done doing it, I kind of stood up and, you know, I raised my hand and I asked, like, but why?
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
4: like, yeah. you know, like, but he was like, "Yeah, you did it." But why?
0: Yeah, yeah. you know. Um, Always a good question. I don't think Tony Scott
2: uh, <laughs> asked himself that question. Well, see, you know, I would love.
1: I would. I would love to honestly ask why. him that question. I think there's actually a lot to analyze in Domino, but I just, I still think it's an awful movie. Yeah, oh, but I think a lot like to analyze. But I think uh, this is getting us off off track. But like. Man on Fire which I love and Domino which I despise are actually kind of a double feature in terms of like ruminations on violence and like you know uh Man on Fire is more about uh can you actually uh redeem yourself or can you seek justice through violence or you know mm-hmm. does the ends just do the ends justify the means whereas Domino is more about the uh wh- whereas Man on Fire is more uh, introspective um uh, Domino is more of an extroverted look at like how uh, a person's violent acts are seen and absorbed by the society. I still think Man on Fire is the only one that's a good movie, but I do think there's something going <laughs> on know,
3: there. I, I haven't seen either. Um, actually. I, got, I feel like I've got a hole in my... Education. Uh,
1: <laughs> Not having seen those two, yeah, I've only seen, <laughs> seen two, two Tony Scott films. Which well, one? I'll Tell you what. Top Gun and True Romance. You said, yeah.
3: Oh, then I've seen three. The Hunger. The Hunger. Yeah.
1: Oh, which I was. Have, I've have never you seen, seen Crimson Tide? It's really good. Oh, great. oh I I Crimson Crimson Tide,
3: I've 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 seen Tide seen is four, good. I think yeah. you've seen a lot more than you think you have. No, that's it. Four.
1: But, but we all saw
0: Unstoppable. <laughs> I didn't
1: see. We Unstoppable. all <laughs> saw Unstoppable multiple times. I saw Unstoppable. It's kind of fun. Really?
0: I didn't see it. I should
3: I almost went and saw it.
0: Oh, but I didn't. You see the new Taking Pelham One Two Three? No. It's. I, you know I, what? I didn't even know how I was going to end that sentence. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> it was
0: better than I thought it was going to be. We have
3: a, a, Make a, a, of a good that buddy that worked
1: on it. Uh, was it John Travolta?
3: Yes. Okay. My good friend, John Travolta. Okay. He flew us down for the weekend. Oh, man.
1: Um, you know, there's something about John Travolta as a villain in the right movie that I love. I mean, I, there's not a lot of... He's not terrible in that. There's not a lot of nuance to him, but like... Like face-off? Uh, Face Stuff is okay, but the one I always go to is Arrow. Is, is Swordfish, actually.
2: Broken Arrow? Yeah, it's a like, bad movie, but
1: he's... <laughs> uh have you guys, Did you guys see Swordfish? No, I haven't he's seen Swordfish. He's so nuts that I end up really enjoying it. Swordfish has a weird little moment. It's the it's the first thing.
0: It's the first moment in the film where mm-hmm. he's talking about Dog Day Afternoon yeah. and he's like, you know the problem with Hollywood? He's looking at the camera, and the camera we come to find out is Don Cheadle. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, you know what's wrong with Hollywood? They make shit. And immediately I'm like, do they, John Travolta? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. See, that's, Maybe you shouldn't be so judgmental. We were just talking about movies that
3: make you want to... Oh, you're kind of like, oh, I want to go watch Doctor of the Afternoon now. You know, movie, mm-hmm. It's really kind of a cardinal sin in
0: movie making Yeah, that's a bad to move. To
3: allow your audience to ruminate on what they should be watching
2: instead. <laughs> like in
0: like in Armageddon when Steve Buscemi makes reference to Doctor Strangelove. And yeah. I'm just like, wow, I could be watching Doctor yeah. Strangelove. I should go watch <laughs> Doctor Strangelove right now. Right. I know I've seen it already, but I feel like... Seeing that twice is better than seeing this once. Yeah, it happens. It happens a lot in horror movies. I
3: just watched. I just saw Cabin in the Woods, for mm-hmm. example. And, yeah, what letter grade? Um, that's an interesting question. I kind of detested it. I really hated it. But okay. I don't know if me ha- hating it is necessarily equating it to. I don't know if it's a F.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, it's a, I,
1: it's at least a D. I said C C minus okay. B plus. But he, yeah, the more he's, I think he's about a big about it, good the fan. more uh,
0: B plus because I changed my uh, uh, and this is a change from uh, the episode a couple weeks ago. I no longer believe it to be a deconstruction of horror movies. Well, I, it is a deconstruction of formula. Okay, that's, and, uh, that's, uh, that's a good point. There are formulas in all manner of, of uh, genre films. This is the one that can work the best when it comes to deconstruction, I think. It can work with action as well. But I feel like that's what – once I locked into that, a lot of my problems with it –
1: but my problem, as with far it, as answering it, questions, and stuff. no matter what I mean, it's deconstructing, I still feel like it's smug and strident, and that that was the biggest turnoff for me. Was I just didn't think it was
3: a good movie, you know. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, granted, I'm kind of quoting Phaedon from the last episode. Like uh-huh. that's my first where I started from watching it. Was I was watching, it, I was thinking to myself, you know, I just don't like this movie.
2: Mm-hmm. But
3: then I, from there, I have a whole you know slew of other problems that crept up. Um, like it does kind of start to get interesting but then it does that exact thing I was talking about where I when, they, when we get into the cube world you know with all the oh, different hang on
1: <laughs> oh. yeah we should probably watch right, spoilers right. Sorry. I think okay. that's vague enough that's
3: vague enough have you ever yeah. seen the movie cube uh no that is a really fun have you seen I've cube? never there's, seen there's a whole slew of those movies and they're uh-huh. really good these British horror movies and uh Anyway, uh, that was yet another movie. I was like, I should be watching Cube. (laughs) (laughs) There was like all these movies that you're watching Cabin in the Woods and I should be watching those instead. And then like the meta plot is so much better than the A plot that I don't know why they just make a movie about characters in the meta plot dealing with the A plot instead of the reverse.
0: Yeah, I I, I think that's a good idea. And having seen it twice, I think the meta meta plot is the A plot and we don't. Think of it but that they make way.
3: you
1: sit through the a plot. Yeah, that's why I am like dread minutes. watching it again because I think that because all that yeah the a plot or the 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 premise I, plot tagline plot or whatever it is boring.
0: I yeah. think when you are when you are put in the position of watchers, then you then what you're watching is important. Let me throw this out there.
3: I'm
2: sorry. And, I don't mean, it's, 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 it's,
0: having to spend time with what you're watching is important. I mean, mm-hmm. go on. I was just going to say like my number one beef with it is that it's not a spoiler
3: to say that you kind of have like it's an evil dead thing going on at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. That's not a spoiler. Yeah. But there's just like there's no life to the movie. I mean, just this, just the shots, the wardrobe, the hair, the editing, the acting, the script. All that stuff is all just so dead on arrival. That I feel like the second they're referencing a movie from thirty years ago, and yet they're just doing this flat, boring, nothing thing. And then even the meta plot, it's just like so flaccid. You know, you know what I think I
1: mean? is the like almost the exception that proves what you're saying. In the early part, uh, this isn't really because this is part of the thing, and uh, spoiler or anything. But they they have the classic going out to the woods. Uh, moment where they stop at the gas station and they're creeped out by the guy at the gas station. Mm -hmm. And I think that scene is so great Mm -hmm. uh, because it is both things. It's completely cliche and everything you come to expect, Mm -hmm. but it's also full of its own life and you're there in the moment. And I think the rest of the, what you were calling the A-plot stuff, is missing that. I would say the... the, the Oh, plus Tucker and Dale did that scene better. (laughs) Well,
0: and that's... that's Tucker and Dale is, I think... That one is very much a deconstruction of the horror film specifically, mm-hmm. and so any, any inter- intersection between the Cabin in the Woods and Tucker and Dale when it comes to straight up talking about horror, I think Tucker and Dale will probably do better because I think they're more specific and they're taking a very specific point of view. But um, uh, trying to remain mostly spoiler-free, I'll bring up the one-way mirror and the, the one real act of truth or dare that we see – is notable uh-huh. and creepy <laughs> and is. and genuinely suspenseful. And that I think that is, that young woman, like, the
1: blonde woman, I think that's one of the best performances in the movie. I can't remember the actress's name or the character's name. Right. But I, uh, I think, uh, I, think uh, I think all like the per,
0: all the performances are, are good. That I think they do a pretty good job of making these. And I agree with what uh, with with what Fatem said that uh, I wish they had spent a little bit more time establishing that these characters. Are not at all like the archetypes, right. That we will come to see them as. I think and I don't want to go much deeper. Yeah, than
3: that. yeah. They just should. The problem was is that the a plot and the meta plot were identical in terms of their production elements Mm -hmm. and if they had made them different if they had made one grittier than the other like they didn't bounce off each other at all so like I didn't get that feeling that this is this like explanation behind some kind of master narrative
0: and that is the and that is the difference we uh, David and I keep uh, referencing behind the mask and there is a stylistic change when we are watching the stuff behind the scenes not merely because it's I I like that movie a lot not merely because it's documentary Mm -hmm. uh, or documentary style, and th- but then it goes into the movie, the horror movie we're watching, and the style is so specific. The music changes. The, the music lighting changes. changes yeah. yeah, it it all, it feels so much more artificial, like a crappy horror movie yeah. that you would watch. But there now there's so it's given so much more meaning. Yeah, and uh, and maybe that's what maybe the the structure of Cabin in the Woods would have changed. Maybe you wouldn't have minded spending so much time with. You know the kids in the in the cabin. If it had spent more time setting up the meta world and what we are leading up to, but then I guess they wouldn't have the the reveals of <clears> the, <throat> the larger story. So it's I I enjoyed it and I like what it was doing and I enjoy what a lot of the actors are are doing and I think it's re- regularly funny. Um, well, let's. So. Let's get back. We
1: can, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, We're talking about horror. Which yeah, is yeah, really I, think
0: I mainly brought up because it
3: references other movies and makes like you know. there's Occasionally, I'll watch a movie that I feel like it's the biggest sin is to get you thinking about better movies.
1: um okay well you mentioned uh, we multiple times mentioned last week's episode with Josh Fadum that's how we came in contact with you guys mm-hmm. is because you know mm-hmm. uh, know Josh but I want to get to who's in entrance uh, is he yeah yeah well let's get to that in a bit okay okay because I um, you wouldn't know it I mean in the
3: credits his what's his name in the credits I don't think that Sag's it. listening but Josh has a isn't it like Borch uh, <laughs> <laughs> no where's is that uh, maybe I'll remember in a little bit no it's something Matzah it's like something.
1: he <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, right. it's got a really um, weird name in the credits. But I want to talk. I want to talk about your guys' move to Los Angeles because, as we talked about um, on our top ten episode, when and any time I've talked about entrance, one of the things that's most that I think the movie does so well and captures so well is the feeling of just having moved to Los Angeles when you're. I, w- I was twenty two when I moved here. Um, didn't really have any prospects or anything, and that that feeling of how. Uh, how lonely a city like Los Angeles can be, despite the fact that it's huge, it's also so huge and sprawling that it's almost like the, all these little pockets of isolation. You can live your life very in a very isolated way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and, people's apartments are pockets under yeah, themselves. Yeah. So.
3: And so are their cars. I mean, yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so... I want to talk about when did you guys come to Los Angeles? And what, what what was that experience like? How did it uh, inform entrance? Dallas got here before I did. Tell me about when you came. Um, so you came in like, two thousand two, right?
3: Is that, yeah, two thousand two. Right, right after graduation, I pretty much I, I never thought I would come to L.A. But um, like I growing up, I always thought I'd go to New York. You know? Yeah. And I can't even quite remember. The idea of L.A. came in conversation with some people near the end of school, and uh. It just seemed so like – because I had never thought about doing it before, it seemed a lot, like, a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. So the sec- pretty much the second I graduated, like that week I drove out here and um, I actually came out to visit during spring break of the same year and met Steven Spielberg. Um, How? I had a buddy who was the on-set dresser on Catch Me If You Can. So he snuck me on the set one day and introduced me to Steven Spielberg who was very kind and very cool. Um, I didn't have to be because I really shouldn't have been there. You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> um, like I had, I had to
3: sneak on the set. He was like, "Just," he said, "Carry a clipboard and ask for the art department and just look like you know what you're doing." And um,
0: it's true, a clipboard yeah, makes all the difference. Absolutely. I think I think uh, in sneakers they say that. Yeah. And uh, for the for uh, about a year when I was a runner, if you wear a baseball hat and a clipboard, people let you where it you really live. shouldn't go yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, the best thing to do if you're walking if you see like a uh a movie's like filming near your house or something. I've never actually done this, but I have friends who have. Grab something like a clipboard or something that looks like that and walk up to the uh the crowd services truck and just, just get some food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> That's a good move. Receipts are icing on the cake too. If you can put some
3: receipts on your clipboard. Yeah, right, just yeah. dangling off like you're in the middle of circling them or something. Uh um, <laughs> right, so. no. Oh, so so I just I came out and, and I like I think I mean I, I wanted to direct films and I came out with no plan. Um and looking back, I mean, I, if I could go back in time, I know exactly what I would tell my ten years ago self in terms of getting a little bit better of a start. Uh-huh. But that said, I don't really think that.
1: Well, don't hold all the secrets. What would what would you have said?
3: Oh, I would have said, uh, do what Pat and I eventually did: uh, pick one project that's good enough that you will want to hold its hand for five years. Because Pat and I both been involved in you know a dozen movies, entrance sized, and none of them were really like. They weren't something that you're. We were ready to. Well, Pat actually has a, a movie he directed before entrance that is was worth and holding its hand, and he still is holding its hand. Called Diner, very much worth watching. Get it? Um, get it? That is the one. Yeah. But uh, but that's the first secret. Is like I mean, have a, a project. And the second secret is to get a manager immediately. The doors just aren't going to open on their own. Um, I never had a man. Pat and I got a manager out of this entrance thing. Mm-hmm. Never had them before, and all of a sudden we're like, "Oh, this is how you get get meetings." In air quotes, you know,
1: this is how you talk to people who matter. But how like, would you have gone about getting a a manager before you had a complete film much to show I don't them? Well, that's the thing. But,
4: it's like there's no way unless you know somebody that knows somebody. To be honest, like if you really want to do something. Uh, if you really, I would say the best advice I would give young me if I if I showed up it'd be like just, as soon as you can. It, it pretty much happened that way though. Uh, yeah, because you got show here, up. Got you got to get your you got to get solid ground. yeah, I showed yeah. up in two thousand six. So if here, it wasn't for Dallas here. laying groundwork, I would have been completely lost. I probably would, I don't know if I would have came out here to be honest. He had a couch uh, that I could stay on, and so I went and crashed there. Got my first couple jobs, saved up enough for rent, got an apartment. And but Pat then, was writing
3: scripts, you know. Right. Like, I wasn't even doing that. And I feel like that was a big inspiration to I me. Mean, Pat got here in LA, went and brought bought one of those big thick what, what do you call those? Those big books. The creative uh yeah. representation directory. So was was sending scripts all over the place. Yeah. You know, like he was immediately doing what you should do when you first get here. But then we ended up um
4: it was uh just Chance and working on jobs, and I met people that wanted to do stuff. And then I had this uh, zombie short that we made in the diner into a full feature, and it was just other production people. But it was just you got to make something, and there's nobody's going to help you do that. You have to make something unless you know somebody, you know somebody. But if you're just some Midwest transplant or from wherever, and you get out here, you just have to do stuff. And then as soon as you get stuff to show, that's when you uh, mm-hmm. basically try and get a sales rep to look at it. Yeah, that's the honestly the first move. You screen it, and if you can't from that, try and get a sales rep because they know everybody. And so if you – because like that was the big question. It's like we don't know anybody.
3: What do you do? (laughs) The thing is that the system's rigged. You have to meet people that then help you. Like the quality – you could make a Kubrick film, but if you can't get other people who know other people to start vouching for you, it doesn't go anywhere. You can't do it on your own. It's just so like that's what that's what I would have told myself is that you know I, I came out here full of like the idea that I would you know be another Wunderkind you know uh-huh. coming out and like make another make you know the next Terrence Malick film but do it at 22 and and like that was kind of the story especially at the end of the 90s and into the, of the 2000s uh-huh. like the Wunderkind was the story and um and it just your personality doesn't do it you know you're not going to get discovered you have to do st- you have to just make stuff
4: yeah making know? stuff's the key and especially because now I feel the spec script. That's gone. That's all gone. You you show people a up, they're like cool, make it. Everybody can make yeah. stuff now. Make it.
3: Well, make and it then, yeah, because Paramount will just you know, they'll wait until you make it, then they'll buy it. Then they'll put know? it out. I mean like like the devil inside, that little horror movie that came out a couple months ago. We know the guy that made that. That movie wasn't that much bigger than insurance and then there it went out on Paramount's, you know, on the back of Paramount and went out worldwide distribution. Mm-hmm. Paramount only paid for the
1: distribution cost. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't really they didn't make the movie. So um, well, let's let's talk about the, the movie then. I've described it um, – uh, I think you and I were talking after I saw it at uh, – was that L.A. Film Festival? That
3: was the second screening at the L.A. Film Festival yeah. at the Downtown Independent. At
1: the Downtown Independent uh, where you can see it again on May 18th um, if you live in Los Angeles or environs. Um, but I've described – I've talked about it's uh, – and, and other people have said the same thing. It's, it's if, as if the Dardan brothers made a slasher film, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was sort of the – the idea but That's
3: it. how we that was how we started. Okay. I feel like we we went from that and made our own movie. Uh-huh. You know, I don't I don't look at it now and think like, "Oh, it's a Darden Brothers rip-off." But unabashedly, that was the beginning place.
1: Because I mean, you do have stylistically the 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 Dardan sort of trademark of Following in medium close-up to close-up, you know, mm-hmm. one person uh, for, in in your case, the entirety of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Susie is the actress's name, Susie Block. Yeah, she's in every uh, single she, shot. In every single frame uh, of the film, I guess, except for when it's too dark for you to see her. Yeah, but the, <laughs> the camera's <laughs> pointed at her. And there's stress that
4: she was physically in front
3: of there's, there's like one scene where she gets a bottle of wine out of the fridge. And remember, I'm pretty
4: sure there's a frame in there where you can't see a hand. No, no, there's... I oh, mean, no, you I down like, to the hand. Yeah, I was struck
3: because I shot the movie and I, we felt, you know, we, we gave ourselves all these boxes to be inside uh-huh. of it, which we can get to in a moment, get, to, get a little bit deeper into. Um, but at that moment, I remember flailing around trying to make sure I caught her hand so that we could really make sure, you know, we could live inside of this box, which was she's in every shot. She's in yeah. every frame.
1: Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I don't want to go too much into the story from there, but um, – uh, I want to ask you, yeah, I guess how, the more technical, just how, how did you get it made questions, but I also want the more analytical stuff of the the moving to a big city at a young age mm-hmm. theme, but also, I mean, you guys, I'm looking at you, you're both men. Right. Um, it's a movie that's uh, very, I saw it, you know, with uh, uh, with my girlfriend and I, I uh, remarked to her and she agreed that it's incredibly insightful about being a young single woman in a, in a Big city alone. Uh, well, the, the, how, ca-
3: the cast was full of women uh-huh. who all gave input the whole way through, and in fact, the whole thing started. The the, the the movie has has like two different points of origin. The, the first is is that I was trying to make this other movie that was going to be called Land of Dust and Water, and it was going to be this like super gory art film, you know, like, <laughs> like a love story, but as gory as gory could, you know, be uh-huh. just like total body horror. And Pat was going to AD that. So a year before, I had AD'd Pat's movie, Diner. And the way I was going about it is I had a little bit of money saved up, and then I was just throwing all these balls under the air, and I figured that eventually the movie would just kind of make itself, which uh-huh. doesn't work. <laughs> uh, you end up wasting a lot of money when you do that. Uh, you actually have to have a little more focus than that. But so that, that movie fell apart. It, it, it happens a lot with these little projects where you look around one day. You didn't even know that it fell apart. You just look around one day and realize that all these elements – didn't come together. Yeah. Around the same time that was happening, I my my girlfriend, who is now my wife, and her best friend Karen, who's Car- plays Karen in our movie, mm-hmm. um, they were living together in the house that we shot *Entrance* at, and they had an idea for a horror movie that they pitched to me, which was which was not *Entrance* at all, but it started this conversation, like let's you know let's just make something conversation. And so coming off of that conversation and thinking about them and talking to them about their place in Los Angeles and whatnot, I went back to Pat and I pitched to him this slasher movie that we could direct together that uh, was what if the Dog Brothers made a horror movie. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that stylistic choice was that I felt that we could actually make – we could with the amount of resources and money we had make something that worked. And if you've made a movie or been a part of that process, you know what I mean by worked. Like actually, you don't you don't see the seams of it. You don't look at it and go, oh, they didn't really have enough money for this or that. But, but It's get, not
0: reliant on people cutting you slack. Yeah. I'm just like, well, it's a smaller film, so I can let that go.
3: That's a very good right, way right, of putting right. it. Yeah, we wanted to make something – because I had, I had $6,000 uh, that I had. I had $6,000 and I was going to be getting married in the near future. So once you get married, you can't. Into your bank account anymore so it really was kind of a last <laughs> ditch and I, and I really don't think my wife will listen to this even if she does it's probably okay but um, you know whenever the, she's, she's kind of like allergic to nerds in a way even yeah. though she loves me <laughs> uh,
1: uh, tell me about it I, <laughs> at, this,
3: at this point students started going nerd alert
1: nerd alert <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah I went uh, last night to see the Avengers for a second time with my girlfriend it was her first time and I think she had a lot of that <laughs> like why are people cheering like, <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I felt very aware
3: that this was kind of a last like this other project just fell apart it was a dream project for, that I'd been working on for literally years and um, so I pitched it to Pat and he loved the idea and within a month i think we had made it right yeah but it was pretty much from like what
4: if and then it turned into we had a script in 2 weeks and then it turned into okay so we have a week down and then we shoot and then the and because it was so fast we had all these rules because rules help you expedite the process, mm-hmm. like no coverage, like the dart End. Uh-huh. So that means when I have to flip a room around and like shoot the other way, there's uh-huh. only one shot. Uh-huh. Um, and that yeah, does, one shot per scene. That does hurt you though when you need to cut to something to make it sell,
1: you know. Mm-hmm.
4: And it makes uh, uh, murdering someone on screen hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, there are. Uh, there's some pretty disturbing stuff uh, in 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 that film. Uh, there, yeah, there that were, took a lot of long conversations to figure out how to do something. Well, I'll stuff, tell
4: you what, though, that was like, that was a very small portion of the whole process where we had found ourselves painted into a corner. We didn't really think through. It. That was not intended. Yeah, we, it wasn't we, until we actually got to the more intense uh, parts of the film that we realized, oh wait, yeah, but we can't cut.
3: <laughs> like, we're yeah. like, Why we were like, "What are you We sh- <laughs> would we, we, shot three quarters of the film when <laughs> we started, this dawned. We, we
4: storyboarded because again, we had no time, so we didn't storyboard traditionally. But we had the camera, yeah. Uh, so we just shot everything. We blocked just everything out I. just the two of us, and we'd be running around the house, and I'd be all the women running around. Uh-huh. Um, and then Dallas was shooting it already. So uh, we and we finally got to that part, and then we we're like, "All right, so we'll do this cut." To, wait, you can't cut. And we are like, "How do we pull off this stuff?" Uh, and you know we, we found ways to do it, but um, other than that, the rest of it was completely designed to go as fast as possible uh, and still sell the drama and the story beats and um, and the, the the sort of earnestness of it all
3: and I think um, to um, answer one your question, is, okay I feel like the, also maybe what I'm really realizing is why it has such a strong feminine voice and why it reflects so much about real life in the city is that we just allowed, in many ways, circumstance to write the script. Mm. And by doing that, we then didn't have a film that ever –
0: how did you put it? Um, That is uh, contingent or it requires people to cut you slack.
3: Yeah. I mean some of of my favorite reviews of our film are – like we have some negative reviews, but there are people that are like criticizing elements of the film as if we had – Control over them, uh-huh. like like that house they were in was awful, or this wardrobe, or this hair,
1: and this makeup. Uh, now, I think and- I am on record as saying that house is a little too nice from uh, by my experience uh-huh. of being a young poor person in Los Angeles. But it's all real. I, I mean, know. I, I, real. I wanted to ask you, yeah. like, how did how did your uh, how did your girlfriend find that that awesome? Well, we were living. In that house. Well, that was yeah? uh, Karen
4: lived there. Yeah, Karen's uh, the hairdresser And she was gone. real She's a hairdresser I mean that was the other thing too All their jobs are their real jobs So we just shot where they work Everything's yeah. just And real I mean that was the real so house That Karen got as a hairdresser That house That's a great find It's I a know. really cool place It's totally yeah. cool It was owned by some German <laughs> I couple Before then
3: you know, uh, and It's a strange house There was a different time I mean we live in the recession now But uh-huh. there was a different time When it was easier to buy big houses You know so Right I, I mean it really is just
1: That was just her house Yeah You know uh, so, i want to ask real quick because okay. i know the film geeks who listen will be curious how long is the final shot in the film oh boy um well and we will not <laughs> we, yeah, yeah. we won't <laughs> specify what is in that final no, shot, but the final but shot is it's, i mean like you said it's one scene per shot but yeah that last let's one say it is,
3: starts with coming out of black how long is it from there 22 minutes 23 minutes that's that's pretty fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty much the whole, the whole. It's like the whole third act. And yeah. as
0: I have, as I have said, in reference to Children and Men, being the only person I'm aware of that is not a huge fan of that film. Um, <laughs> I love that film. Of <laughs> course, <you did. laughs> um, there are some things that shouldn't distract me, in certain, but do. I know what you mean. In I'm not talking about entrance. No, no, this I know. Is, in children, and Men. in children, and men, there are two long unbroken shots, and the fact that they're unbroken after a certain point, I find myself thinking, "Wow, they've really been going. They've been going a long time without a cut." And it's like I shouldn't be thinking that.
1: Right. See, the only time and I found myself I, thinking that in Children of Men is in, I think, the latter of the two super long shots. when it, At one point, either blood or mud gets splattered on the camera. Yeah. And there's a part where it sort of passes through shadow and they use that chance to digitally like get rid of the, mm-hmm. the splatter. Yeah. And I noticed that. But other than okay. that, I didn't really feel myself being taken out of it.
0: Uh, for some reason, I was. And I'm taken out of films by strange things. Like if an actor does his own stunts and I see the actor's face and I think like wow, he's doing his own stunts. Wait, <laughs> like, it's like, well, no, wait, I, sh- I should, be think. I should be thinking like, holy shit, that character's gonna die. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I, I feel yeah. like that's what I should be thinking. It's, I get distracted by weird things. And yeah, I'm that's- the only one I know. But no, it I, mean, I, I,
4: just to, so I could sort of add to that, I completely mm-hmm. understand what you're talking about. And I think it's because we spoke, we, we speak film, and okay. so you're you're constantly being like, oh, is that stunt double or is that real? But with oh, is that CGI or is that not CGI?
1: Well, the stunt and thing, I kind of think it's mind. the opposite. If I can't see the face, that's when I start thinking about, like, well, that's clearly oh, I think not... Oh, that's a stunt double. Yeah, that's not Jennifer Beals da- uh, breakdancing yeah. at uh, the end of Flashdance ben- Flash there. I will say,
0: nine times out of ten... When an actor is doing his own stunts, they will go out of their way to make sure you see his face. I mean, those <laughs> are the shots we're talking and about. And those are the ones I'm, uh, that what I'm about, talking like, about. What about, like,
1: Patrick Swayze skydiving in Point Break, where they, like, make sure to go wide so you can see that's Patrick Swayze. Yeah. And there's all this space. And they, but that's the, and, and it, it's. That's
0: a great moment. That's a great scene. That's a and great I, movie. I think, yeah, that's a great movie. in a moment, in, in that moment, it's actually kind of okay because you wind up being like, wow, that's that 's pretty ballsy of Patrick Swayze, but you 're also supposed to appreciate the ballsiness of the character,
2: uh-huh. so in that and I
3: end moment, up thinking about the
1: ballsiness of the cameraman
3: well, <laughs> and I think about the production as well, which is why I like those shots in To men, but I do understand what you mean because they 're not motivated by story. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of watched them and like on a production level, and just like marveling at what it took to took to pull them off. I, right, the,
1: the cameraman thing. Uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but like I watched those like nature like uh, documentaries. Like most recent one was Frozen Planet, and they're doing this thing. There's these people. They're like like Inuits, and like there's a part. It's like all ice with water under it, and then the tide goes out, and there's these little caverns, and they drop this ladder, they have 20 minutes, like, the tide comes in and out so fast, they have 20 minutes to go down and get all, like, the muscles and get up, and people, like, have died from not getting back up. They oh, freeze, wow. and to, freeze to death and drown in this, when the water comes back in, and so they're, like, selling the urgency of it, like, they have to get out, the water's coming back, and I'm thinking, the camera guy, like, he's filming them going up the ladder, mm, I and he's knew, still down there. That amazing.
0: I just saw the Disney documentary Chimpanzee, and there's a part, which is not a good movie, by the way, uh, <laughs> There's a I I had to, I guess I had to say that for some reason. But um but uh sorry. Um I didn't realize I was making a joke. I just felt like you should know. Um, but there's a part it's where our, they where they should, you know, it's like there's a section where it's like nighttime in the jungle. And this is a dangerous time for the chimpanzees because that now is when the jaguars are around. Uh-huh. And you see like Here's camera, yeah, night, yeah, night yeah. vision, and a jaguar goes... And it's like, why am I not seeing footage of a jaguar attacking the cameraman? <laughs> yeah. Why, why some is some he not of, worried? You know, iron suit. Maybe. Well, that would, would be, be
4: awesome. Now j- I want to see the iron <laughs> yeah. He's in a jaguar blind. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was like March of the Penguins, which was like one of the... You know, it was insanely cute to watch the penguins and whatever. And you hear about shooting it. They were like, they almost died a couple times shooting it. And yeah. it's like this harrowing adventure yeah. shooting
0: March of the Penguins. And part yeah. of me, maybe this is why I'm not in filmmaking anymore. Part of me is like, penguins aren't worth
1: it, man. Like,
2: <laughs> You
0: don't
1: have to. Right. You're
0: not even uh, telling a larger truth. Like you're just talking about penguins.
1: Now, um, I don't want the whole episode to be about entrance. I want to move on and talk oh, about I, horror and stuff in general. Well, hang
0: on, I didn't. uh I didn't didn't finish you my long take thing. Thought, yeah. Sorry, oh. we, we went off. On oh, sure, sure. So,
1: but anyway, so the
0: the uh, 22 minute uh, take uh, at the end of uh, of entrance, um, I was not taken out of that uh, out of the out of the film, and it's I think it's because you had done such a solid job. Um, and I apologize that I'll going. I'm going to be complimenting the film, uh, you know, to you guys in this moment. Uh, yeah, sorry about that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't <laughs> mind. Some people, some people
0: find it very, uh, like, strange to uh-huh. be complimented on air to their face. So by somebody, I mean me. <laughs> I, I, it's just like, okay, how can I deflect this? Because if I accept it, I look egotistical. Anyway,
1: Tyler, I think. That is a great thing about you. I love that about you. Way to go! Ugh.
2: <laughs> and so, um,
1: but you've done such a good job of,
0: like you said, one scene is a, is one take. Yeah, not a lot of cutting back and forth. And so by the time, like you almost, not almost, you earn a twenty-two minute take. Mm-hmm. And and you've done you did such a great job with like a kind of a roving a roaming camera, that when the camera's roaming through the the house, I won't say why, but uh, when it's doing that, it's just more of the same. Right, right. And and maybe and they, maybe that's why something like Children of Men um, or other films, uh, like um, uh, Atonement. Atonement also has a notable... That huge one yeah. one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which that, is really... It's a really nice set piece in the middle of a movie I don't care about. Yeah, and it's <laughs> a little <laughs> bunch of... Gold it's a good way to play VFX. It. And yeah, and, mm-hmm. and, and I'm, I'm but, okay with it, but it's uh, just like you—you you haven't, like I said, you haven't earned this. I don't feel it quite so much with Children of Men, but it's just like you've had cross-cutting right and left, but now you choose to have an unbroken take, and I'm not totally sure why.
1: Um, I want to mention actually the VFX or the FX thing you're talking about, because obviously Entrance doesn't have any visual effects, and this will get us into some other stuff we want to talk about, but. I mean, how big a crew did you have? Because I think there are parts in that in that last shot, and I'll completely uh, avoid spoilers here. But like, you leave a room, and by the time you come back, there's clearly been some makeup and even some sort of like right. like with the the hammock thing.
3: It wasn't a big crew, but it took us a week to do it. Yeah. It took us a week of preparation. Mainly, Pat and I spent a whole the, week. I mean,
4: there were I, let's see, I, the main the whole production was shot. Uh, Dallas shot it. Um, we had, on day one, friend of a friend recommended Christopher Verdowski to pop in and do sound. Uh-huh. All of a sudden, this guy who we just met that day stuck around the whole production.
3: A Chicagoan, right?
4: No, he's from Wisconsin. Oh, and then, Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin. And then uh, and then I was in tow with the monitor, uh, chained to Dallas, and Chris was hard-lined with his mic to Dallas. We couldn't
3: have made it without Chris. That, so that was it. There's no way.
4: And then Susie. That was pretty much every day was us. Us <laughs> more every day. When we go. got to the, uh, the main stuff at the end... We had probably four or five people. Um, as soon as we left a room, they would be sneaking uh, between behind us and like setting things and putting things or giving props and switching them out, um, things like that. There were other
3: hard things, like just because of the wiring in that house, like we would need to control the power in the house for some of the parts oh, of the shot. Wow, yeah. Shot, and so like it took two different people to cut all the circuits. It literally circuits. took
1: all.
4: Uh, it was like forty. How many? They had the. There was they all had, these different switches. They yeah. and that one person could do them at the same. Time. Yeah, uh-huh. so they would
3: have to cut these switches, and then they have to like hide in a closet as the camera went by, and then come back out, and like this is all stuff that it took us a, like it took us a week to That's figure so it all awesome. out. But
1: um, uh, I don't want to make it sound like the whole movie is. This last uh, bravira shot, uh, no, Sean. yeah, because there's it's all this very
4: a- much just a very it's a very simplistic yeah. character study thing.
1: That was, but it, I mean, there's you know. some pretty uh, amazingly um, I- insightful uh, character-wise, but also um, you've got a real control over the atmosphere and the mood and the tone in that in that early stuff. And another movie that you and I Dallas after the screening talked about was uh, Chantal Ackerman's Jean DeMond. Oh, oh sure, sure yeah. Uh, in in terms, obviously, entrances. It's under ninety minutes. It's not. Four hours. <laughs> there, yeah. It's that yeah. 220 minutes or whatever <laughs> right. uh, Jean-Daman is. But it does have that sense of getting to know a person through the repetition of their daily routines, you mm-hmm. know, feeding the feeding your dog and, and stuff like that. See, I just want to – I want the listeners to have a sense that it's not just about this, like, sort of uh, virtuosic yeah. – It's uh, about
3: Susie. I mean, people <laughs> – and, and we actually have – our best responses tend to be from from women who see it which we weren't like we didn't plan that it just happened like that but people who either know someone just like Susie or maybe felt like they were like her they went through this time Mm -hmm. as well before they either got a grip on things or moved away Uh, it's
0: it's interesting Uh, the way David describes it is uh if the Dardan brothers made a slasher film? Well, I guess I got that from them. Oh, okay. Apparently. Um, I, I, thought, we, I thought we, I yeah. came up with No,
3: it. we talked about that.
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, my, mine was, and by the way, and as we've said before, I don't mean to... By bringing up other filmmakers, it's not as though this film is good only in so far as it references other filmmakers, mm-hmm. oh. uh, but if Polanski made a mumblecore film is sure, yeah. the way I approach sure. it. Sure. I, think I and, like that description. And the...
3: We're we're both, you know, cinephiles, so we we talk, we use directors and cinematographers to discuss what we want to accomplish,
0: and and the and and there are plenty of people that do that, and then just become a failed version of that. Like you use that as a jumping-off point to make your own thing, and that is notable and admirable. And when I locked into the idea of this uh, of it as a sort of mumblecore film, um. That's when I started thinking. Well, what is the nature of a Mumblecore film? And nine times out of ten, it is young. It's about young people who are a little directionless. And David locked into, um, and and I did too a little bit. But like focusing on it as like being a young uh, being a young woman, and I see it as being like the emphasis on young not being established here yet. And it's so specific because when I... I, I've seen the film twice. The first time I saw it, it was at, I guess, a critic screening of sorts Mm -hmm. uh, at the silent movie theater. And... Okay, you guys know that you've gotten some negative reviews. Oh yeah, oh, so I walked. So I went and saw it with uh, with Fatim and <laughs> yeah,
3: Phaidon was my mole. He was texting is, yeah. me because I yeah, was. I wish, I I wish was, he uh, could have
0: been there for this because I want. Anyway, sorry.
3: I was at work, and our and our, and our PR person told told me too that it, the directors really shouldn't be at press screenings, which mm-hmm. I didn't know, but you're not supposed to be. So 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 I was at work, but Phaidon was like texting me how it was going in there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. Uh, people seemed to respond to it well when the film was going and then I went into the uh, men's room and uh, after the film and I was uh, using the restroom and I was listening to hear what other people were saying and these couple of guys were uh, or I think a guy was was leaving and mentioned to me that's right he was he was leaving the restroom and the restroom it's like,
1: like, town movie theater is it's like, like a s- one single occupant yeah, yeah yeah so we passed each
0: ship's <laughs> passing in the night David and uh, <laughs> And he's just like, and I'm sorry, he's like, stupid fucking movie. And I don't know why he sounded, he sounded like a, an old-timey gangster. Right, right. And he was wearing, like, a dark suit in the middle of, like, a Tuesday afternoon. And so I'm just like, maybe he is a gangster. And so, um, and because it's like, and I, I really wanted to engage with him, but I had to use the restroom. And so I did that, and then I came out, and then I was talking with Josh, and I was listening to what other people were saying. And I noticed older people didn't like it mm-hmm. younger people did, and I felt like that was worth that was worth noting and I wonder it's like I wonder if not to imply that you can't be lonely if you're older in this city right 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 but I think when you've recently come I mean for the first two years like even though I was married, I found this to be incredibly lonely. I knew Jen, I knew David, I didn't really know a lot of other people beyond that, mm-hmm. and it was very lonely. And I think when you're older and if you're a, you know, if you're a professional film critic, then you you're well established and if you're in your 50s, you probably have a number of friends that you've acquired over the years and I wonder if they just forgot what it was like Yeah, yeah. to be living in this city where there's so much sprawl, everybody's, there's kind of a general tone of everyone's in it for themselves. Um, and you're still somewhat new to it. Even if you've lived there a couple of years, you're trying to make it happen, not even really knowing what it is. And it's just, it does seem to be a film that like is specifically possible because the characters involved are young. Um, and it just—I don't know—I found it to be. I mean, Dave was talking about like it being insightful about uh, being a, a woman in the city, and I think it's that as well. There's a real vulnerability there, but also being just young and not ha- and being not naive. But I'm sure you guys have experienced it that like our dads just seem to know stuff. They just—they <laughs> just like when my dad helped us. Uh, when when our dads helped us move to Chicago, like they handled everything, and we was just like. And I remember thinking, like, shit, I wouldn't know what to do
1: here. I used, at all. I used to think as a kid that I guess, I guess, when you get old enough to drive, then you automatically gain the power to re- remember where you parked. And <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm still pretty bad at that. Yeah. and <laughs> just and so. But I'm sorry, I, I didn't give you a chance to respond to what
0: Tyler was saying. But it's it's that idea of like we think adults have it figured out, and Susie's character, you know, seems to be. You know, in her 20s and still kind of a new transplant to the city, new-ish, a mm-hmm. couple years, I would I would assume.
1: Yeah, there's
3: a couple – there's there's some subplot stuff that we ended up trimming out because it didn't – it wasn't reading. Mm-hmm. But we definitely were thinking of her as someone who went to art school, came out here to like make it in quotes right. and uh, whatever that means. Like you said, I mean I, I, I know that experience of coming out here and feeling like I wanted to make it and yet having zero idea of where to begin and no okay. direction. And – uh and she just kind of flounders, you know? And she can't connect to anybody.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was
3: going to say, speaking of the the woman thing, I think a lot of that had to do with... I'm, I've am i never been a woman walking down the street by myself or or just with another woman. But if you talk to women about what their experience is like when they're not next to a man, their experience of the world, at least in Los Angeles, is completely different
1: yeah. than you would ever there, know. There's a great... I mean, I've, I've avoided specific spoilers, but I think there's one scene that's worth talking about where uh, Susie, I forget the characters. Susie, it is Susie. Okay, we, we just didn't. We didn't.
3: All her names are the same.
1: Um, <laughs> there's no time to write yeah. names. Uh Susie's, I guess, walking home, and there's a car moving slowly on the street alongside her. And you don't mm-hmm. know—is this person just looking for parking? Is right, this the right. person that is the threat, or is this just some weird creepy guy? And uh, and a thing, and that's a thing that guys don't think about, mm-hmm. but probably happens to women all the time. It when happens to women home. all the time.
3: I yeah. mean, these, some of those things were some of those things that happen to Susie are specific stories that my future wife and her friend who were both in the movie would tell
1: me about you mm-hmm. know what it was like to be a woman how did you find Susie because she's she's great she's in the movie and she so nice we got to meet her she came to one of our um, one of our live shows live shows we used to do maybe we'll do them again someday yeah. but they were fun she came and such such a sweetheart yeah we gotta get on the show
3: Sure. We so in that that film that I never made that entrance kind of rose out of its ashes. Uh, Susie came and uh, I did a whole casting process out of my house. Which, by the way, if you want to creep some people out, do a casting process <laughs> in your house.
0: And uh,
3: but Susie uh, came. I want,
1: have, a, ha, have a podcast <laughs> where you invite people to your house. Right, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <gasps> hey, wow! You're a you're a big star. Why don't you come to my house <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, there will be microphones
3: so she came and, re- and read and for it and uh and I just thought she was fantastic. She actually wasn't right for that film um and that has nothing to do with her talent right. It just was a different character a different a different thing altogether but i but I was absolutely struck by her and um and when I informed her that I wasn't going to be going with her, she was very energetic and like. Saying no, you're making a mistake. I'm the uh-huh. right person for it, which just like doubly made me think about how awesome she was. And then when this thing came up, an uh, entrance came up, I was just like, Pat, you've got to trust me. I've got the girl. Um, we don't have to cast the girl. We can just shoot the thing. And he just trusted me that she was right for
0: it. It's yeah. It we will we will move on now. But okay. I do want to I want to reiterate. Okay. It's going to be playing at uh, I don't remember what's the downtown, theater? Independent, downtown May 18th. independent
1: May eighteenth. More importantly, to people who don't live in Los Angeles, though,
0: yeah, it's going to be available on demand on demand
3: starting uh, May eighteenth. May eighteenth, and that'll be on iTunes, Amazon. I'm going to probably forget a couple, but it's uh-huh. it's not on it won't be on Netflix yet. It'll be like iTunes, Amazon, um, Xbox. Something there's different video game platforms that you can stream movies on. Uh-huh. Uh, so a couple of those, maybe a, couple, a PlayStation, maybe. Uh, and then there's a couple HD, like IFC Midnight HD channels that do right. video on demand that you can get it from.
0: Will it be getting a like a DVD release as well? Not
3: yet. Okay. I mean, I'm hoping if it can
0: do well enough
3: that maybe we could generate make that happen. Okay. But right off the bat, no.
0: All right, so let's make that happen because I want a
1: copy of it.
3: Oh, that's is, uh, is
1: there a blooper reel, a gag reel?
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean our shooting ratio was pretty small, and and the gags are like very quaint. Like for example, my wife had one of the most important jobs on set. Well, she was she did all the costumes, you know, mm-hmm. so she, she kept the continuity with the wardrobe. Um, but also, there were two dogs that lived in that house. One was a start one of the stars of the movie, mm-hmm. Daryl, and the other was our little dog Ziggy. And the only the blooper reel would consist of shots where it, my wife helped wrangle them because they had to be kept out of shots, you know. So the blooper rule just be, like, these dogs walking in a frame when they weren't supposed to. <laughs> All right,
1: see, you're you're uh, underselling this. I would yeah. love that. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I want. I mean, pretty in the exciting. middle of
3: nowhere, like, you've never met this golden dog before, and this little golden dog trots across the frame. It's,
2: <laughs> I it's wanna, cute,
1: but... I want to pitch, like, like the Dick Clarkhead McMahon show, right, that's bloopers <laughs> and stuff, I want to pitch to the Animal Planet just to show... That is blown. Take takes blown by animals.
2: I think that would be adorable,
1: and it would be a huge hit if it was yeah. just like we're trying to film this scene of how I met your mother, and then there's this dog. Here comes a hawk. <laughs> yeah,
0: right through the right through the scene.
3: Yeah, that would be. B- awesome. Before we totally move away from it, though, I, I do want to speak to your point, and I think I think it's very valid. We we didn't set out to make a young person's film, mm. but we just we as a group, as Pat myself and everybody on the set, we just we we kept saying on set, "Let life in." So, whatever life was, we let it in and it was our life. And then we ap- ap- applied this, you know, s- semi controlling narrative on top of it. But it's just a young person's life and it was a ex- real real experiences from young women who, you know, had lived through the city. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's absolutely something that may contribute to older people not necessarily connecting to the film.
4: I would also touch on your uh, Mumblecore meets uh, Polanski comment as well. And, uh, also, another... Because a big touchstone for us were these core films that came out. And one of the things that Dallas and I always had a gripe about is that, I would say, like, majority of the time... There's just no real stakes. No stakes. Mm-hmm. And we were like, what if
3: we did a mumblecore movie where there were stakes?
0: Because yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: horror, <laughs> like, like, real how...
0: horror is all about stakes. Mm-hmm. And there was like, there's been one kind Especially of... Especially vampire movies. Oh, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> 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 um, all right. Through the, through the heart, David, is well, what I'm talking about. Let, let's let's move on. This, this will get
3: us into horror. I yeah. said, well, because... actually, I want
1: to talk about mumblecore with stakes. Um, and... Um, I am drawing a blank on the name of the director who's been on our podcast, who made Quiet City and Dance Party USA. Aaron Katz. Aaron Katz. um, That was a long time ago, Dave. But more recently, made a film called uh, Cold Weather, which is... Oh, sure. I haven't seen Cold Weather yet. Yeah. Uh, I've been totally wanting to see that. If your guy's film is um, uh, mumblecore horror, this one is mumblecore uh, detective Detective, story. Yeah, exactly. Uh, It's fantastic. Tyler, did you get to see it? No. You would love uh, it. It is so up there. I know I
0: would love it because I, much like Shaun of the Dead, I had the idea years ago. I started writing a script about it, about like seemingly like somebody, a a young guy living a low stakes life, working like in a detective agency, which basically just means like doing internet research. Uh Uh, And then he actually gets involved in a case that matters. But and I was trying to figure out what that would mean because in the early case in the early stages of the case, he doesn't yet know that it matters. so uh-huh. like he'll be playing trivial pursuit with his friends talking about the case, getting their take on it <laughs> before he knows, oh, he's gonna die like uh-huh. he doesn't yet know it it hasn't be it hasn't materialized yet. I like that And I remember a thing like oh, that's great and then cold weather it's like, that sounds exactly like it yeah cold I'm weather I sure love it like
1: he is serious about ex- investigating this case that in which a woman may have been kidnapped. It's, it's got high stakes. Mm-hmm. But there's a part where he figures, I'm an investigator like Sherlock Holmes. I need a pipe now. And he goes pipe shopping. And it's treated with exactly the same level of seriousness as the investigation <laughs> of, the, of the mystery. It's uh, such an awesome movie. Um but this will, I guess, get us into something we were talking about off-mic. We, we had this conversation off-mic that's going to give us lots of fodder for the, the rest of this conversation. But um, uh, genre and respect for genre and be able, being able to tell stories that are about, uh, you know, more than just their plot elements, but using the genre sort of uh, backbone to, to hang your, your themes and your explorations and your characters on. Uh, what do you guys think? Moving away from entrance, if you want, or talking about entrance, however you want to do it.
3: Sure, you'll yeah, probably, we'll probably kind of float back and forth. Yeah.
1: maybe because we definitely are inspired
4: by a lot of things. Uh, absolutely. Well, I think that we. Uh, oh no, I said absolutely. Of course, everybody's inspired by all sorts of things. <laughs> um, but um, we're we're horror, we're horror guys. <laughs> we are, and um, we're huge genre fans as well. And I think that genre, especially with horror, it's so easy to resonate with because it's so visceral. Mm-hmm. And it immediately gets a reaction, whether or not they love it or don't. And the beauty of genre is to say, "Well, you remember this is like this thing you're familiar with. You know, get your feet wet with this. You know mm-hmm. where it's going, right? And then you can change it, uh, or or comment on it on it, or just deliver it so that they keep along for the ride. Um, it's, that's the beauty of genre. And I think another beauty of genre is selling. Is like slipping in the medicine, mm. uh, so you get to give them the medicine with the sugar, and everybody's really happy to see the, you know, oh, I know what you call this. This is like the final girl, or like oh, I know what this is. You this know. is with
3: good with good horror films. I mean, there's yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's, there's a section, a segment of horror, horror. All horror films are connected, to, or you know, have to hold hands with business. And there's a section of horror films that are only business, right. and that would be like. All the Platinum Dunes movies, mm-hmm. you know, Michael the Michael Bay remakes of all the great horror movies. Those are just business. But then, Absolutely. good horror yeah, movies yeah. do what path talking about where the genre gets you into the theater, and then you can really slip in pretty intense social commentary. I mean, I think I think horror is the one genre that that best, or it is the genre that best discusses like issues of ethics and
0: morality in society mm. and how fragile society is. Mm-hmm. The thing that I that I because when i was you know uh, we might maybe we all have this i don't know maybe it's just me but like when i was younger and i thought i was oh so smart about movies there were entire genres that i would dismiss as mm. it's like and horror was one of them where i was just like yeah there's one or two good ones but mostly they're crap which might could be true of everything we're kind of true of everything. it's <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah>. true <laughs> of movies yeah. right um, right and <laughs> so but like uh but as time went – and also, like, I just had such a stressful time in horror movies. I didn't enjoy watching them. But then I realized I was watching the wrong ones. Um, but uh, what I like about horror movies is that more than really any other genre, it – like you said, there's a, viscer- a visceral quality that gets us emotionally involved. But it also pretty much forces us to ask – I mean, jokes have been made about it it's so common, the idea of what would I do?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, you get, when you get people saying like, don't go in there, what they're really saying is, I wouldn't go in there. Well, yeah, sure, I, yeah. I think a lot of hard movies, a lot of hard movie watching are,
3: are kind of like, you know, test running your worst, your worst nightmare. Yeah. You know, people watch home invasion movies and they, it's in a way it's, it's training, you know, it's thinking through you know, if
0: my house was invaded, how would I react? And so if you've got a movie that is already causing someone to question what they would do, you can really trojan horse some stuff in there mm-hmm. get get some nice ethical dilemmas in there and so, suddenly you know it's obvious like we wouldn't split up like that's an obvious one but it's like would i let my friend die oh mm-hmm. uh oh like it's well, suddenly they is, di- they're discovering stuff about their own selfishness Yes, and it's, there's a lot you can do this with it. This is when
3: horror movies are most powerful is when you get an audience member to connect and then to see themselves in the shadows mm-hmm. and then to, and when the horror movies are the most successful are when you can get an audience member to become disgusted with what they see. Mm-hmm. Horror is not pretty. I mean, it's not about, it's not about feeling good about yourself. It's about looking at the darkness.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, what's uh I don't know if you guys, as horror uh, horror buffs, are going to laugh me out of the room here, but a movie that I think is terrifying and great is uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Signs. I don't know if you guys are fans I of that seen movie. It, so I don't know. Oh, I've totally seen, it. seen it. Signs. Yeah. Do you like it?
4: Yeah, I like. Um, I I do and I don't. Okay. <laughs> I do. I do, but the, when it gets to the final end, I'm, it's it's too much. It's too much uh, loose end tying for me. It's wrapped, I, it. It's wrapped
1: up too neatly. I can too see neat. that. But yeah. the, 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 terri- the terrifying stuff before that to me and the stuff maybe why it speaks to me so much is that it uh, – you know, I'm, uh, I'm an atheist. I uh, am comfortable saying that. I feel that. I believe that. And most of the time I feel quite comfortable saying that. But uh, Science is a movie that actually really does confront – well, what does that mean? Like how – Alone are you comfortable in being, sure. you know, and like, what does that mean existentially? If you, if you really do think there's nothing out there for you, uh, what if something came that was so much bigger than you that you had nothing to rely on? How would that, how much would that terrify you? Would it terrify you more for being an atheist than if you had this belief structure? And the, that, anyway, that's just the, the idea of bringing something mm-hmm. to a movie and having it mm-hmm. scare you more. And that's, that's a big part of the reason why science is so terrifying to me. And you know, science has a moment and I, I, as a Christian,
0: like it because, for similar reasons, but for my own thing, which is this idea of, I mean, it's regularly uh, asked in the Christian community and of the Christian community, like, why would God let such and such a thing happen? Mm-hmm. And the standard answer is, well, there might be a bigger thing at work. He might be trying to do something larger. And in that film, he is. And so it actually takes, uh, I think, some, something of a mature view. That's not what I'm going to mention. What I'm going to mention right now uh-huh. is that there's, if a film shows a certain degree, like that it understands how people are, even if it's just one little moment, it's like, you've got me for the rest of the movie. Right. There's a part where Mel, movies, 10 years old, oh, That movies, 10 years old. Um, <laughs> like I, I said it casually and then realized it, what I was saying, um, movies, 10 years old. So I, I'm going to go ahead and spoil this. So, um, Mel Gibson has an alien in his pantry.
1: <laughs> it's not his pantry. It's,
0: it's in a. Pantry. It's, M. Night Shyamalan's it's M Night Shyamalan's pantry. <laughs> pantry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's
3: M Night Shyamalan in the movie. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And so, um, but it, he thinks he's got it in there. He doesn't really know, and so he's going to figure out if it's in there or not. So he takes a knife, a large knife, not to cut it with, but to use as a as a mirror. So he goes, slides the knife under the door and like tilted a little bit so that he can see, he doesn't see anything. He pulls the knife out, walks all the way to the back of the, of the hallway. And then like has a moment of, like, okay, all right. All right. And then he <laughs> like charges on ahead, and then the alien like brings it, you know, pushes its hand out there and it's quite frightening. But that little moment of, it's like, Okay, I didn't see anything. I'm gonna go back to where it's safe just for a moment. And that's when you ask like what would I do, it's like that's what I would do. Mm-hmm. Sure, just sure, be like, yeah. okay, I gave it a go. I can't find my I can't find the courage twice in a row I need to I need to take a moment <laughs> recollect myself and then go do it and so, that was so honest that I bought anything else that movie had to had so Patrick to
1: have we convinced you that Signs is better than you thought it was
0: no <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't seen it I have to say you know
3: I wish I'd seen a, I, I always heard that it was okay um, but I, I think I feel like is it M. Night
1: Shyamalan I say Shyamalan Shyamalan he's
3: really, he's really tarnished his, his his own memory at this point that it's really hard to like think of one of his movies and take it seriously for me, you know, uh, which is unfair yeah. because I actually really liked, I really enjoyed uh, Unbreakable up until the ending, which sucked. Uh, <laughs> but I
1: really enjoyed it. It seems um, to be a problem with him. Yeah. I think, well, well signs in Unbreakable, I would kind of agree with you that the endings kind of kind of mar the movie a little mm-hmm. bit. I like the ending of
0: Unbreakable, except that I think it was, uh, I read an article by uh, William Goldman who summarized it really well, which is like, it's a neat ending from a certain point of view, but he said, it's different than Sixth Sense because it answers a question that no one was asking.
2: Right. <laughs> Whereas Sixth Sense, it's like,
0: what is going on with this guy's marriage? Uh-huh. Oh! Whereas this is, the question is like, why is Samuel Jackson so weird? Like, nobody's that. <laughs> I mean... People might be asking that, but it's like they don't give it a second thought. Yeah, it's not—it's not really a proper twist because it's just shoehorning
3: in something. It doesn't
4: really—that was shoehorning in what should have been like a mini series. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I
0: enjoy this this
3: adversary. But I did enjoy—I enjoyed Bruce Willis learning about himself. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed him going on. You know, it's like a first mission. It was like episode one, it, but then picking himself yeah. back up. I mean, it was that was all interesting stuff. We never talk about that movie when we talk
0: about superhero movies, but that is what it is.
3: It was, so, a, yeah. little, it
1: was a little ahead of the the curve, I guess, on the mm-hmm. uh, on the trend. Yeah. It, it might have I mean, not that Unbreakable has been forgotten, but and it did very well in theater, it did really well in the theater. But it just it doesn't seem like it comes up. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, uh, um. All right. Another thing. Well, another... I mean, you guys are talking about horror. Obviously, that's your your thing. But um, I wanted to go back to this genre thing and put an example. Because I'm not... I like horror, not, but I'm not a super horror guy. But I like uh, mysteries, as I know uh, mm-hmm. Tyler does. Mm-hmm. And a movie that comes up a lot on the podcast is One False Move. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the oh, Carl, yeah, Carl Franklin yeah. film, which is this great sort of detective, like rural noir type of detective mm-hmm. story. But it also is so just laden with these ideas of both the difference between black America and white America, but also the difference between small town America and big city America. and It's all yeah. sort of where do those differences overlap? Like in what cases is a small town white guy going to be on the same, the small t- same side as a small town white Black guy, or is the small town white guy going to be on the same side as the big city white guy? Mm-hmm. Depending on the w- which way things are aligned, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I really like. I think that's a great example of, like you say, the medicine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get
3: an interesting that Yeah, mm-hmm. genre, but that's,
1: I think that's always been genre's role, you know.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I mean, obviously, you go back and watch Film North. Just those those things are boiling over with discussion. Sure thing, and it's so interesting to see I, again. And maybe this can
4: kind of help push the discussion as well, but I would say entrance is definitely a meeting of a couple of different things Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. genre-wise. And then also... Uh, for some reason, Outland totally just came to mind when I was thinking about. I haven't
2: um, seen that movie. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Long time.
4: And it's funny because like everybody's like, oh, it's like a western in space, which is you know, it's high noon, it is right? what it is, high noon in space. Yeah. Um, but it is a very—I don't know why—and I've seen both. I've seen High Noon and I've seen Outland. Um, and for some reason, Outland totally resonates way more than High <laughs> Noon does yeah. in terms of a whole town or space mining company town. Uh, completely turning their backs on the sheriff, mm-hmm. and for some reason it's so much more bleak and outland. And I think it's because they're in space. Yeah, the genre, and there's nowhere else to go. Hey, you know what <laughs> you can't is? go anywhere else. He's stuck, and everybody turns their back on him. Yeah. So I mean, it's interesting when they when they take that one thing. It's like it's high noon in space, but it's like so much more desolate, and it mm-hmm. it's so much more resonant. I think because of that, and it's very very interesting.
1: Any, um, anybody see Cowboys vs. Aliens? I did not. So I did. Did, did I? Hear
2: it was not good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I saw it. Uh, listeners know that I
2: no. saw
1: it for three
0: dollars, and uh, uh, a young couple in front of me was talking throughout. And then I come confronted
1: them after the movie. So but, that's more important. To, that story is bigger than the movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what about? A, oh, go ahead. I just, that, that that kind of movie is just such a part
3: of the the machine, as Josh kept saying last last episode. <laughs> yeah. And it's just. It, it, it there? It's like, you see a trailer for a movie like that, and you're falling asleep already. You know because I feel like not and nobody involved cares about the movie about you. There's nothing like it, exciting at all about it.
1: I, I'm glad I didn't go end up going to see it because it was such a disappointment to so many people. I was at like so the movie had its sort of premiere at Comic Con, but the Comic Con before that, I was there and they showed. Uh, about 10 minutes of footage that I thought was amazing. And I was super excited for the movie because the way that the footage, or at least the amount of footage they showed, it was. John Favreau was making an honest to God Western mm. that had these alien elements. And I think that's a cool idea. Well,
3: maybe he did. Maybe it got re edited at some point down the line. I mean, we don't. No maybe,
0: know. It does seem to be. Split up a little bit, and it's just like, oh, this is really neat. This is really fun. Okay, now it's okay. No, but it's just,
2: yeah, <laughs> now it's
0: Transformers or or any of those. I I feel like you know the thing is is it's just best to make honest work,
3: you know. And what's going on right now with so many movies within genre, and this goes back to my problem, a lot of my problems with Cabin in the Woods. Everything's got to be so knowing and so in on mm-hmm. itself, and to me that seems like something that was turn of the century. You know, like that's postmodernism, which we I, lost, I, I thought we were past that already. You know, like, uh-huh. we need to just be making fresh new work, but everything is is all about we're still just trying to Hollywood just catching up with that idea of turning it in itself.
1: So, that, and that's why I loved. Um uh, speaking of recent horror films, The Innkeepers. It's not trying to... I don't know if you saw no, The Innkeepers. Yeah, it's great. It's very yeah. refreshingly its own thing. Well, yeah, yeah it's, let's, it's let's, let's
3: head down a route real quick that I, I kind of in my brain prepared for. Okay, good, over, good. Which was just to you know, if we were to discuss like what's good in horror right now, um, nothing out of Hollywood is good. Uh-huh. And the reason is is that there are no good directors working in horror. I, I would also, side, side conversation, I would say the same could be said for comedy. But just like, honest to God, good directors. Like Stanley Kubrick making The Shining or William Friedkin making... The exorcist you know Mm -hmm. what I mean or even George Romero or um, to some extent people like John Carpenter Wes Craven in their heyday but there's nobody in Hollywood doing that the people making horror movies in Hollywood are people who like you know Michael Bay's lackey who's helping remake all this crap or uh, just people who like uh, writers of other horror movies you know doing another remake or something but they're all just kind of studio lackeys Mm -hmm. but in the indie world people like Ty West and there's another guy you guys ever seen any movies by a guy named Adam Wingard no yeah, Pop Skull. Yeah, he made Pop Skull. Pop Skull is like – it's a con- the kind of movie I watched and was jealous that I didn't think it of. I mean it, <laughs> it's Terrence Malick made a horror movie. <sighs> and you wouldn't think that Terrence Malick could make a horror movie and have it be successful because the kind of nostalgia or the, the wistfulness that Terrence Malick engenders doesn't really connect to fear. But he does it well and he may not have been thinking Terrence Malick made a horror movie, but that's what it feels like. It's very dreamy. Um, but yeah, Ty West, Adam Wingard, and then and people like us here on the in the indie world uh-huh. are trying to make fresh stuff. There's a guy named Simon Rumley who I don't know if he's a Brit. His first movie was British, but he made a movie in Austin called Red, White, and Blue that is just it's on Netflix instant, and it is very, very good. Hmm. Other than that, other than independent horror in America, overseas in the art art film land mm-hmm. there's so much horror that's happening like you know with people like michael haneke or mm. uh lars von trier you know i mean antichrist and i mean all haneke's whole career but if you look at antichrist from a couple of years ago i mean this is just balls to the wall horror 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 pushing the limits of what horror can be or like a serbian film which just came out a while back you did know? you see it i didn't
1: i i did not
3: like it okay but i mentioned it only because it's 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 try, it's so supposedly pushing the envelope yeah you
1: know oh it does that it's just not very not very good it doesn't have much of an impact when it's not very good
0: <laughs>
3: uh. so there's good stuff happening but it's just not there's no there's no kubrick making a big horror movie right now that's, i guess that's what i'm getting at
0: it's interesting do you think well oh sorry go ahead you go ahead. Okay. Um, I, I might be changing the subject a little.
3: Do
1: you think I know the um, details are sort of mum about the plot, but do you think Prometheus will have horror elements given that Alien is a a horror film? I don't know, but I I'm I I would assume so.
4: I would say it is, and I'm uh, I'm also I don't know. My thoughts on Prometheus are, are completely in another direction that are just kind of like it's like so huge. Mm-hmm. It is. It's like watching the Titanic back up and turn around, <laughs> and it's all to explain Alien. <laughs> but, but,
3: but it might not be. I mean,
4: I don't. <laughs> well, I think honestly, uh, it would. It would be. Uh, our buddy John Damer had mentioned that it was like, it. He, he has a very really good theory, and I buy into it. That is probably like what we're gonna give in line for is Alien Two Point So this will like the way same way Star Trek rebooted. They'd yeah. probably do the same
1: thing. What's kind of, What's funny? Um, oh, puke! <laughs> 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 it, it's It's funny that this, um, you know, Ridley Scott is taking this on, like all to explain Alien, because I think maybe because of the franchise and how expansive and, and it, it became, people forget how tiny. narrowly focused yeah. Alien is, Awesomely and that's, tiny. i yeah, oh, yeah. don't Even mean that derogatorily. Alien awesome. is so small.
4: Uh-huh. And I always forget about how small it is until I watch it.
3: Yeah, I just rewatched it. Because it's, it's like small. when
4: you watch like that big, the big first uh, action set piece, it's all shot through like ham- helmet cams.
3: Yeah. Uh-huh.
4: Brilliant. Well, you know what? Those, Super these were, brilliant. They had
3: limitations and they solved them with yeah, yeah. artistic creativity as opposed to just solving it all on the computer. Right, right. You know, Nowadays, I mean, any of these new movies will just solve it all on the computer. And it's like, oh no, we can have the big world. We don't have to do it. We don't have to think up some creative shot like mm-hmm. that because we can have CG aliens, you know, out the wazoo. Well,
1: let's talk about something we were talking about off mic before we started um, uh, the, the Woman in Black. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I both liked it. I, I Tyler did. didn't see it. Patrick did. didn't see it. Um, but you were talking about the... Didn't the, love it. I, li-
3: I liked it. Um, it's hugely successful in Britain. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's from a stage play. I think yeah. it, I think well, it was I, a
1: book, I a think, book, that got turned play. into a very long-running stage play yeah. that I, I hear I need to see. I hear it's amazing. Yeah. Um, but what Yeah. What did you like and not like well, about it?
3: Well... Um, I liked almost everything about it in in a sense, like you know the plot of it. It, it was a uh, was good, and the actor I liked, Daniel Radcliffe, and it was shot That's with it. some some style and some panache. But uh, overwhelmingly, all of the spookiness was driven by computer generated imagery, which fundamentally just cannot be scary. I don't I don't think it can be scary unless unless it's Lawnmower Man, because then you're inside. of... <laughs> <laughs> if you remember, then you're you're inside of like. <laughs>
1: Now, sure he do he you think? You mentioned lawnmower man. I'm yeah, sorry. I try um,
3: to bring it up as much as possible,
1: <laughs> but it's not scary, you know. Do you think that is fundamental? Because well, let me ask you. Okay, um, I've often said the same thing about uh, about action or 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 even horror. We we've talked a lot about I Am Legend and how uh, disappointing. I mean, that that final act is disappointing in pretty much every way. But, it, but it's a general, pretty good movie up to that point. Yes. But yeah. in general, the horror elements of it are disappointing once you actually see the creatures because mm-hmm. they're completely fake. But um, uh, uh, I've talked about The Avengers, and it's kind of all I want to talk about right now because I love it so, so much, and I just want to keep going to see it. Right, right. Uh, but that is a heavily computer-generated um, action, mm-hmm. but... I think a. I mean, in a certain to a certain extent, technology keeps getting better. Right. But also, I think um, uh, Joss Whedon doesn't. He doesn't just show you the CGI and expect you to react to that. He uses. I mean, there the the action sequences in in the Avengers are incredibly complex, and storyboard storyboarded mm-hmm. and choreographed, like to the nth degree. You know, uh, and so he's he's using the CGI to augment what his main thing is, which is the shot as well, opposed to just putting the camera in a certain place and then filling the frame with mm-hmm. CG stuff. So do you think with the right director and the right advancements in technology that CG could be scarier?
3: Uh, no. In, in horror? No. And, and here's it's, why I, I'm sorry about it. Uh, I don't, I don't yeah. think it's the quality You're of the CG. I think it's what it allows you to do. Okay. Um, for example, one of the greatest horror movies, of all time, definitely the last decade was "Let the Right One In." Not to be confused with "Let Me In." And I
1: didn't see "Let Me In." You, you
3: didn't like it. I didn't. I didn't watch it oh, out okay. of protest <laughs> <laughs> because "Let the Right One In" was a perfect film. Uh-huh. It, well, not perfect. It was ninety-nine percent perfect. There was one shot in it which was. Can I spoil? Is this a spoiler? You know what I'm talking about? Just say the cats, and that's okay all I need to say.
1: The cats. <laughs>
0: I, I haven't seen the film, so Sorry, I'll look I'm
3: trying out to remember. That I've cats. seen
1: it. Well, I'm trying to think of the scene. There's it's
3: there's, a, v, there's a, one, the, one VFX shot. In there's the a woman okay. and
0: lots of cats. Okay.
3: So because you can, okay. you do. You know, like the computers are a Pandora's box that open up. C- computer imagery is of Pandora's box that opens up the ability to be completely free. And I just fundamentally believe that art is created within the best art is created within the within the confines of some kind of restriction.
1: I yeah, I, I um uh I agree. Even outside of C G just like not showing something is often more effective well, than actually yeah. showing it. And uh to get into comedy for a second, the recent uh twenty one Jump Street um, I guess this is a bit of a spoiler. I don't go any specifics though. There's a part where a guy gets his dick shot off and <laughs> I don't know if it, did, did any of you see it. No, I haven't oh. seen him.
3: So my, 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 my six month old son saw it. Cause it was at a mommy and me screening. that I um, took him to,
1: <laughs> Oh wow. So he's had his dick shot off. He's handcuffed. He's on the ground and he's like, uh, you know, somebody's going to help me find my dick or whatever. And they're like, oh is that it over there and to me that's funny that like they look off screen and he's like ah right Mm -hmm. but then the next shot is him he's handcuffed behind his back bending over and picking up his penis with his mouth and it's like that's not funny anymore it was funnier when we Mm
2: -hmm.
1: didn't see it once you actually show it then like it's it's too immediate and visceral to be funny also there are
0: other people around can't they pick it up
1: right He's the bad guy. They're the good guys. They're intentionally not picking up his penis for him. Oh.
3: Pat, I really, I really cut you off a minute ago. I didn't mean to you. <laughs> yeah,
4: that thought train went down the rail, Sorry, like, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get,
3: I, this is my, like, soapbox. I just jumped on it for a second there.
4: No, that, I, it was uh, pretty much the same thought I had.
0: And, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm trying to think of an example, specifically in horror, because I think CG can be, if used well, I think it can be quite thrilling, like in an action film.
3: Yeah, and I I haven't seen the Avengers, so I don't know. It It, it,
0: it could be awesome. It does spectacle.
3: Yeah,
4: it does spectacle really well. And I was actually just thinking about while everybody was talking, what what is it about uh, CG that maybe can't be truly frightening? Um, And I'm wondering if it's like, well, if I look at it, and I just my brain knows it's like I I either go that's good CG or bad CG, but Mm -hmm. like, but I still make that differentiation of my brain and i'm wondering if like is that why i can't truly like buy into it because i'm always judging Mm -hmm. or um but at the same time like how is that different than regular effects anyway Mm -hmm. because you look at them and you go oh i don't actually tell you the truth watching like blade runner and or like raiders of the lost ark i don't think i did ever (laughs) like you were just like oh wow yeah
2: (laughs) yeah i never was about it yeah
4: like i'm trying to think But I'm sure, like this, you know, you can't. I don't think I can truthfully say that that's the case. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, it's totally fascinating when you really try and pull it apart. But I do tend to side with Alice, and I would say that I, I don't know if I do. Like, I do feel like I'm I'm pulled out of it
0: somehow when I'm watching CG. Well, I think you you know you're just aware that like, I mean, horror is all about this thing, whatever. It could be a monster. It could be another person. You know, whatever. It's occupying the same space as you,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that in itself is horrifying. Yeah. you might be able to see it; you might not be able to see it. The the knowledge that it's there, and so there's something worth noting that, like, if we know that the thing is not physically in the same space as the actor, then
1: it's it it loses something. Like sometimes it's as simple as just being physically in the same space as the stuff right behind it mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean like uh um uh there's similar scenes in star wars from 1977 and john carter from 2012 mm-hmm. of a guy being in sort of a locked in area and being forced to fight a big giant beast yeah and and i think in in star wars it's many mini- it's miniatures i think but because the entire area is clearly all part of the same thing yeah it feels tactile Whereas in John Carter, it's here's a cartoon running around uh, real space, mm-hmm. even if you can't yeah. see John Carter. Yeah, What's yeah.
4: It? yeah. I, th- I think you guys are totally hitting the nail on the head.
1: Or like, like in the the two American Werewolf
3: movies. I mean, yeah, they're both American. Werewolf. In the American Werewolf in Paris movie, which was all a CG oh, yeah, werewolf, I, you never.
4: Yeah, a lot of people wanted to forget. You're going
3: to feel anything for that for people running from a CG werewolf, you mm-hmm. know. And then no. and then in the John Landis movie, even though the effects are old, I mean, I don't think
0: they're brilliant. They're though. brilliant. They're mm-hmm. still yeah.
4: brilliant. They are.
0: And even. When practical effects aren't that great, Jaws is my second favorite movie of all time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When, jo- when Jaws, ugh. <laughs> when, when the shark,
1: when Bruce. What the old shark, Jawsy,
2: yeah.
3: Oh, just call him. On, yeah,
1: I know. <laughs> we did an have the listeners know. We did an episode the other day that hasn't gone up yet. Where I referred to Edward Norton's character in American History X as American History X. <laughs> yeah, um, that's okay to do. I think
0: I, I think I mentioned that uh, I was talking with a friend of the show, Jason Egan, and he was telling me about seeing War Horse. And every time he makes reference to Joey the horse, he sa- he calls it War Horse, and he does it not ironically. He just does it like a kid describing a, a movie that he saw. And he's like, he's like, and then there's a scene where War Horse does this, <laughs> and it was, it was the only word I can think of is adorable horrible
1: but, you, that, you that simpsons like here's where Josh jumps out of the water yeah. here's where diehard jumps to the building here's where wall street gets arrested that's, yeah, that's that. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: um but uh the scene where the shark is eating
0: quint the shark head does not look real but yeah robert shaw's in its mouth mm-hmm. and screaming i think that's significant. like i'm i i buy it even if i'm not predisposed to buy that shark head like it's That's just totally occupying the still, same space i
4: absolutely buy that shark head though because of that performance exactly and, right and it was shot in just enough of a way to sell yeah. it well and I mean, um and it's like everything came together and i do think if that was a cgi shark i would uh, just zone out
0: yeah well it, the actor has something to uh respond to absolutely, yeah. mm-hmm. and i i understand that actors have something in response to a cg as well but if you're robert shaw and your lower half is inside a big me- mechanical shark head, you don't have to make that big of a leap to yeah. screaming that you're being eaten by a shark. Yeah, yeah. And so I feel like it can make all the difference. And I, I've said on the show before that like one of the reasons that I am such a character and actor guy is because... They're they're sort of our first line of defense. They more than any, almost more than anything else, will sell the reality of this yeah. film. Yes, and so you need to help them out as much as possible. And that's one of the many reasons the, why, like the new Star Wars movies, are terrible because mm-hmm. he's not helping the actors at all.
3: But so he's when you, when you open the gate to all the VFX to come through, then the whole mode of production changes and that shot you're talking about from Jaws, it would have been like a wider shot with a cross section of the water with this wiggling shark and then yeah. the shot would have become about the shark. Yeah. So that's why I think VFX tends mm-hmm. to change the mode of production mm-hmm. and then it changes what the shots are about sure, and that's yeah. why I think they kind of – and I, and I also just really feel that VFX-laden movies – I mean maybe this will change at some point when they just become you know absolute reality but at this point they've all dated – I mean, even, I mean, Avatar was this, was this mega you know, milestone, and it's dated now. Mm-hmm. Everything, everything full of VFX dates almost immediately, and yet we're going to keep watching John Carpenter's The Thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: People
3: 20 years from now will watch John Carpenter's The Thing.
1: I think one well certainly eight. your your kid will because you'll
0: yes <laughs> make <it. laughs> yeah. damn well believe Walker <laughs> Elliot <laughs> Hallams to be watching Charlie. Yeah, he's 13 like years from now he's like Dad. That. I'm too. I'm five. I'm too young. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. Watch uh, Charles I Appreciate he, this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is completely off topic, but speaking of that, um, a few years ago, Watchmen came out, and so I, you probably heard Ugh. all these stories about <laughs> people accidentally taking their kids to Watchmen because they think it's. They just think it's like Spider-Man it or whatever. rated a f- R. Horrible but, idea. But I I saw it at the Vista Theater. Behind me was a guy and his son who was maybe 9 or 10. Mm-hmm. And this was not an accident because the dad was like explaining Watchmen to his son. He was clearly like this mega Watchmen fan who was like, so here's what you need to know going in. Here's who Dr. Manhattan is. Here's, here's, and I was like, this is so irresponsible. A, yeah, this
0: wow. is horrible. And that's the thing, because he's like a... a not to imply that if you're a mega fan of something that you lose all perspective on it, but I, I think he probably lost perspective on it. I think so. He was excited. Like, I want to be able to share that. something with my son. Yeah, doesn't the comedian rape somebody? Yeah. Like, you know, I don't think you need to share that with your son.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But, oh, well, I guess maybe he was able to. It's like, well, I want to see it in the theater, and I can I can justify doing this. <laughs> so. Yeah,
1: Wow. But, so, uh, um, well, let's, we, we just wrap up pretty soon, but what other recent, uh, do we talk about all the recent horror films? Is you guys really seem to know your stuff and uh, any other recommendations um, for the listeners I, I for was, recent
0: stuff? I was going to ask what are some of your, I'd say influences, but also just oh, yeah. what are some of your favorite horror movies in general? I'm sure it'll coincide with what most people would say, but I have a feeling you guys know some movies that hmm. I don't. Well, I would, I do want to bring up also most recently,
4: uh, or more recently, was a film by Bruce McDonald called Pontypool. Have you seen Pontypool? No, I've... checked oh, it that's out. Really yeah. It's movie. totally a fascinating, interesting, smart horror film that's within the past, like, four from years Canada. or so. It's no, from Canada. It's where they all, um, all the he, good ones come he's, from. <laughs> um, most notable for making a hardcore logo. I don't know if you've seen it. I've that. heard of it, yeah. Um, but, um, I didn't even realize that he was He also made guy. The Tracy Fragments, which is a pretty cool film with Ellen Page when she was very young. Not no. very... She was probably, like, 15 or 16, I think. Um, super interesting experimental film, uh, but anyway, Pontypool is basically about this uh, madness that spreads through the en- specifically the English language, uh, and it ends up oh, manifesting wow. itself in like repetition of words of um, uh, like honey or sweetheart or baby, and then you start, you start get stuck in these loops. You get frustrated. that You get stuck in these loops that you can't stop. But saying it's kind of an end of the end world.
3: world movie. Yeah,
4: it's It'll, totally fascinating, yeah, and it all awesome. takes place inside a radio station.
3: Hmm. And it's, so, it's, um, so in a way, it's like it's almost like an epistolary movie where, but instead of letters and things like that, it's radio broadcasts that are coming in that then paint the larger story.
4: And Stephen McCaddy plays the main fella, huh. and uh, it's he sells it. It's great. It's totally a smart, tiny, tiny film that uh, is very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and
2: speaking of
1: Alien, Stephen McCaddy, the poor man's Lance Hendrickson.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. Stephen McCaddy had my heart when I saw him. I completely went over my head that he was in Seinfeld uh, as Elaine's psychiatrist. But yeah. The yeah, uh,
1: this Jolly. The,
4: it was <laughs> <laughs> but he um, when he was in uh, that tiny bit of uh, History of Violence, mm-hmm. The was the tiniest bit, mm-hmm. and it totally seeped oh. under my oh, skin. Yeah, what All was his right. character's name? Oh well,
0: the two characters together. Yeah, I wish we, which movie were Leland and Orser, right? Like the actor Leland Orser.
1: Yeah, I don't know. You know who Weird. Leland and Orser is? No. Mm-hmm. You've you've definitely seen him. You ever Season seen Seven? Him? He's in seven. He was in, um, Alien he's in Resurrection. Alien the Resurrection. In? Oh, he's in uh, Very Bad Things. Have you ever saw that I one? Yeah, that. I did see that. He's like the weird, quiet one. In it's seven, kind of what he usually yes, plays. Yes, he's yes.
4: And in seven, he's the guy that can't talk straight because he had a horrible thing that he did to somebody. Yes, he was forced to do and something. He's in everything,
3: and he yeah. and he's had he's. He had that same role, I think, in the Bone Collector.
4: Yes, uh-huh. I think yeah. so. Oh, yeah, yeah uh-huh.
3: seven two. That
1: was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, one would say seven half because it's really not <laughs> that good.
3: of a well, No, no, it was seven too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, why would David Cronenberg name characters Leland and Orser, or maybe the sc- the, the screenwriter? I don't know. Did it's but a great it's, thing though? It's yeah, it's a fun. It's a fun thing. Hmm.
0: It might be an intro. Sure, I'm not sure why. But, but yeah.
4: Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Punt so, Pool. Go check it out. And um, that one is a very good one. I,
1: yeah. I, I want to, before we move on, another thing about Bone Collector. <laughs> 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 I watched that on video with my dad and my sister who had previously seen it. Right? Okay. <laughs> and, um... The second Leland Orser, uh, this is spoilers for the bone collector. Um, <laughs> the second Leland Orser is like his, because uh, Denzel Washington is like paralyzed or something or bedridden. Yeah, right, ridden, yeah, yeah. And Leland Orser is his nurse who comes by. Right, right. Every once in a while. And the second time Leland Orser showed up, I was like, oh, it's him. He's, he's got to the, be the, he's bad the bone guy. collector. And. My dad, my sister was like, "How did you know that?" And I was like, "Why else do you cast Leland Orser in your movie?" And they're yeah. like, "You're 15. Why do you know who yeah. Leland Orser is?" I yeah.
2: don't know who By
0: the is. way, uh, a moment ago when you said another thing about the Bone Collector, I'm pretty sure nobody's ever said that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Just
0: anything that you said, anything that's going to be said about Bone Collector
2: has, you
1: is, you say the one thing uh-huh. and you move on. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: Seven
1: Wave. All right. What, uh, what else uh, would you recommend?
3: Well, I think Pineapple's a good one. Uh, the the last two film well all of ty west's films but the last two specifically innkeepers and house of the devil are both really terrific uh adam wingard's got three or four movies but i would suggest pop skull okay. um let the right one in uh-huh. um now, Don- what
2: you, uh
1: i think the movie that sort of walks the line i think between being the uh meta postmodern thing and just being uh uh, a fun and earnest horror movie is uh, Slither. Do you guys like uh, James Gunn's Slither? Yeah,
3: I, I saw it in theater and I enjoyed it. I, can't, I, 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 I like feel it like I don't have
1: a good perspective on it right now. I
3: thought Slither
4: was totally fine. Yeah. I just actually just watched it not that long ago. It had yeah. taken me forever to finally see it and I saw it and I was worried about it and then uh, by the time I totally... It was a... You know what? That film was a hoot.
3: It was a hoot. <laughs> even though there was a lot of CG Slithers... There was also that wasn't the main, but I mean, but the big gross the big thing at the end, were real set was pieces, real, yeah, 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 yeah. And, mm-hmm. and it was awesome because Henry Portrait of a Killer was yeah,
1: was Michael Rooker, yeah, Michael it totally Rooker.
3: shades of that's the a beyond. movie, like watching it, Henry felt Portrait like of a the
1: Killer, scene. hey, yeah. you guys, guys seen that movie? Oh, Henry, I've seen uh, twice, and I think I'm about done. That'll
2: wrap you. Yeah, <laughs> I love I, it. That's a rough one.
1: I saw I think the first forty minutes, and then
0: I got interrupted, and then I think I saw a scene between a, a later. Notable scene between him and Tom tolls is it Otis? Is that Otis? the rat
4: yeah. uh, tail comb scene?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's when um, Henry yeah all right when Henry kills oh. yeah, Otis <laughs> um, and I, and and I recognize that that's not the same as seeing the whole movie but uh, whew, I don't think I can. I don't think I can rev myself up. Yeah, it's a a
3: mean movie for sure.
0: It's a rough one, but but it's it's
3: terrific. And I think that movie doesn't. There's there's something we never really talk about. Is like how dangerous horror is in a way, and how it you the really exploitative horror or like exploitative. Exploitative exploitation, uh-huh. and things like rape scenes and movies and stuff like that, generally are being used to titillate you, you know, and that's why they're they're kind of, that's what makes them disgusting is that you get like excited in a way, and that's that's their purpose. Uh-huh. And there's very few horror movies or movies that have really rough things in them that actually turn truly turn you off. Henry's one mm-hmm. across the board; nothing in that is exciting. Right. Um, I recently saw. I didn't see it forever because I was worried about this, but that. uh uh, irreversible. Yeah. You know, have you guys seen that movie? Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. But I, know, I, know, I
1: haven't seen it either. I, I,
3: I know why you guys haven't seen David it. David no, I've,
1: I've seen it. I think it's really good, it's but a it's a another one that movie. I don't think I, I need it's to a watch. Masterpiece. But sure you know it's...
3: what I mean? That the, Well, th- 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 there's not a spoiler to say there's a rape scene in Irreversible because that's the most famous thing about yeah, the movie. Yeah. But it is. It. It uh there's nothing titillating about that right. there's nothing yeah. that that speaks to the darkness in you and goes like ooh and makes you then feel kind of gross and then that, that that's what the purpose of those kind of scenes in movies that's the only one i think i've ever seen that is just nothing but an absolute disgusting oh my it, 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 i would never want to see it again it was just it's just yeah. awful
0: there's um, a rape scene in the sopranos that is uh yeah. I, I think rape brutal. scenes in general are pretty rough Difficult for me to watch. Well, <laughs> they're difficult to I, I watch, but difficult. I think there can be a tone of I think they're, what you're talking about. What, like. what
3: makes them truly sleazy and, if you, and what makes them truly discu- the, deplorable is that they get used as a tool. Mm-hmm. I mean they're you know, – they're meant to I, – I, I just – I really believe they're meant to like kind of goose you a little bit. Not not to turn you on so to speak, but it, 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 to like – Rev up
1: the darkness inside of you, you know? Uh, I think some of the best horror movies and horror-ish movies, you mentioned Michael Haneke, he does this uh, extensively in funny games, is like give you what you think you want to see and then give it to you in a way that makes you reevaluate exactly. reevaluate what you want, uh, which is why I think one of the most Deplorable and irresponsible ad campaigns ever was for that uh, House of Wax remake, where it was like see Paris die. It, oh, like, that was, like that was like on yeah. billboards and stuff. Like I'm no fan of Paris Hilton, but that like angers me to this day. That that well, was a
0: selling. They're point. appealing to a very bad thing within us, which is like oh that's something that we all casually say. It's like oh I hate these reality stars. I wish right. they'd die. It's like now you get to see. It. It's like. I don't know if that is a fire that needs to be stoked. Well, yeah.
3: and, and that's really deplorable because it, it's toying with – the, the greatest thing about horror films, what most people don't ever think about, is that they function uh, because of the sanctity of life.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: There's, no, there's mm-hmm. no fear if life isn't sacred. And, and the best horror films are toying with you and with how you feel about human life. They don't. They don't work. And so they don't work if they're not doing that. I mean, so movies like the remake of House of Wax that are just like that's all it is is like you know we we just want to get you in here so you can watch a bunch of kills. Yeah, they that's what. Um, that's a
4: real. If you want to do a case study really quick to sort of illuminate that whole just that subject alone is if you watch The Cave. And anybody who really wants to get into horror and you want to reach a subject, watch The Cave and then watch The Descent, yeah, <laughs> like, back to back. Mm-hmm. And it's a great example of watching a group of people who they all hate each other already in the cave, and then they start dying. And even as they're dying, they give each other, like, they make fun, sort of, like, what, are you too scared to walk down? It's like, well, yeah, because everybody's dying now. Like, it's not, I love life, and I like you, and we're buddies, right? And um, Versus The Descent, which is this insanely... Uh, uh, thorough character development
2: mm-hmm. until yeah. the
4: last third, when that it gets it gets gnarly, and you love. The, I mean, these stakes are huge, and it's such a small little you
0: know group of people you're following, but these stakes are huge. It feels yeah, like
1: that's a pretty amazing, amazing movie. There's a movie
0: that I it's so stressful. I mean, it's people say that it's not horror. I disagree wholeheartedly, which is Open Water. I haven't that's, seen it. It's on my list, though. It is, and it, it goes against so much of what people are told horror is because they we're told that violence body count
1: yeah uh, gore and that's what I was say, water yeah. is none of that uh, uh, anytime a movie starts like say it's a bunch of kids going camping or whatever the more kids there are the less I'm probably gonna like the movie right. yeah because if it's because <laughs> it, 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 it it if it packs it with a dozen kids you know like it just wants the higher body count that's, but if it's like three people going out like in Wolf Creek which is not a it's kind of an unsuccessful movie, but, 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 but Wolf
3: Creek I think got a good. Uh, it's got a good target. I think it misses mm-hmm. its its aim yeah. off, but it's got a good target. And it
1: does a thing a lot of my favorite horror movies do, which is that uh, Wolf Creek doesn't really become a legitimate horror movie until about an hour in. Like no. it's got creepy yeah, yeah. elements, but it doesn't like really reveal itself. Which is, uh, I mean, Entrance and the Innkeepers are both kind of similar recent things that 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 played with that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of foreboding. As much as I do like. The
0: Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I'm a big fan of that of the original, and when I saw like oh, the, I went and saw the new Dawn of the Dead. I heard it was good, and it is good. But like when I saw, it, it's like, well, the original has four people in the mall. Uh-huh. This one
1: has about eighteen. Mm-hmm. But I think the, I think the, I can see why the Dawn of the Dead remake is. Uh, I I'd think of it more as an action movie. I think I think probably I, so so I, yeah. I don't think then, it's.
3: And even and even in style, the way it's like stylistically shot, you know, mm-hmm. where like if someone – I think it was a shot where somebody like fires a gun and then there's a close-up by his, by his boot where the casing slow motion falls to the ground. <laughs> that's, you know, action movie stuff. Uh,
1: it's still the only At Zack the same, Snyder movie I like and written by James Gunn who didn't there. So yeah. maybe that's why. But the reason they upped
0: – the reason there are so many people in that – they could have had an action movie with four people. Right. But the reason that there are so many people is because – they you you want see, a body count. Yeah. yeah
3: there's no real body count in the original Dawn of the Dead until till the end yeah. and
0: even then it's a very slow I mean
1: well there's the opening sort of massacre at the like housing project yeah, right, uh, right
0: right thing but of uh, the main characters yeah. is a very then it's these four people mm-hmm. all of whom you care about and then one of the, when when the bodies start when those bodies when start the bodies hit the up, floor when the yeah which I <laughs> I'm supposed to when I'm supposed to let them do that <laughs> but um when that starts happening then you're like oh no like yeah they're, you know I've seen it I've said it on the show before. I've seen Jaws probably more than any other movie. I watch it if I were to watch it right now, my heart would still pound at Robert Shaw mm-hmm. uh, Robert Shaw's death. and it's not because I don't know it's coming. it's not because it's a surprise. it's because a character I've gotten to know and like is dying. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. I feel I feel for him and I and I feel like I'm losing something
3: yeah and
0: his, his life is sacred. Yeah
3: and the good, good horror films function on that.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, I want to ask you guys, um I feel like we're gonna disagree because the movie I really like that I think a lot of people don't. Uh do you like Hostel? No. Not, no. Not a fan? Not a fan. And it's I, I really like a
4: lot it. of it has to do with that it has some interesting ideas in it actually, which I will totally admit it has like some really great ideas. Um but when I I remember watching it and feeling that when the uh, when the the main characters that I'm following finally mm. like I was like within ten minutes was like let's watch them die. I don't even <laughs> I can't stand these guys. These are meatheads that like if I were to meet in real life I would not get along with. And it's you know let's just get to the other part that I'm sitting here for. Um and let's see what they do with that. And then when it got into that that actually started having some really interesting ideas. But it wasn't until well, then, it does
1: I don't uh, can we it. spoil host- hostile at this point absolutely do you yeah think? totally because it does a smart thing uh, that I like whereas it is this group of meatheads and there's the one sensitive kind of geeky guy sure. and you think well that's our lead and then a little over halfway through he's dead right right. and right. then the asshole suddenly you know the the um uh who's the actor in that uh i can picture him jay i don't know hernandez jay hernandez is his name i haven't seen that um one. jay hernandez who was like the the like sexist like you know uh just skirt chasing asshole the whole thing now he has to suddenly step up and be our hero mm-hmm. and i think that's uh i think that's really smart and 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 clever uh and playing with your expectations mm-hmm. um, mm. and uh, yeah, allowing the person you think is okay to want to see die to live right, right. after the person you think is going to be safe.
3: Right. I, I don't think it's a dumb movie. I just don't like it, but I don't hate it by any means. Um, and I think and – and, and Eli Roth makes a very good – if you listen to any interviews he does, he makes a really good case for his films. Um, I just feel like – I think I saw – I see his films – after I hear his interviews, because uh-huh. he convinces me to like give him a chance. Well, and I didn't then see Hostile Two. Good. Well, I mean, it, it, if you listen to his interview on the treatment, you'll want to see it.
1: Yeah, and then you might not like it as much. <laughs> but but doesn't it have the higher body count thing? Because Hostile has a lot of well, torture in it, but they're actually not a what, super huge three, number three, of people yeah, who die. Pretty small. Yeah,
3: Hostile Two it, it flips a couple things, but it,
2: it's
0: it's basically the same. Now, David, I've not seen Hostel. How is it different than the Halloween Horror Nights Hostel Maze that you and I went?
2: Through? <laughs>
1: um, well, because I enjoyed that. Yeah, that was that was fun, but uh, it's more gross than it is people, you know, okay. it's shocking you. I mean, I think Hostel is, I think it walks the line of, you know. Enjoying giving you what you want by being really brutal, but also being so brutal that there's a part of you where it's like, "Am I supposed to be turned off by this, or is the director just a right. sicko?" Well, and there's <laughs> different
3: kinds of horror movies. There's horror movies that aren't supposed to be scary, where you're just wallowing in the macabre, right. and that's like you know Vincent Price movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there's splatter movies and gore movies that you you're, you watch them to enjoy the gore, uh-huh. you know, or the suspense of gore, but not so much the suspense of whether or not this character is going to make it. You know what yeah. I
2: mean? Yeah.
1: I think that's um, a hostile might be more along those lines. I don't think it's supposed to scare you so much as maybe disturb you and you, but yeah. but you kind of get off on that.
3: And it's a kind of, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's, what's a strange kind of movie that part of the experience of it, of watching it is already knowing something about it. Uh-huh. I mean, that's part, I, I think that built into a movie like that is knowing that there's going to be a bunch of torture. So you're just waiting to see how, how it plays out.
0: Uh-huh. You know, let me ask you this, uh, because, and I should have gotten this from uh, before, the movie that you said you wanted to make, like the really gory uh, film, so you're not opposed to gore. Not at all. Let me ask you this. If you run across a film that has characters you like and care about, but then it kills them in an incredibly gory, maybe even gloriously Mm -hmm. gory fashion, do you feel like that cheapens the characters you've gotten to know? Or I'm not saying like you know, I mean, that, like, go back to Jaws. Robert Shaw death, right. pretty brutal, and blood coming out of the mouth. It's pretty pretty horrible. But it's as horrible as it would be,
2: mm-hmm.
0: as opposed to when they just kick it up a notch a little bit, and there's and it's gorier than it probably would be in a film where you've, you would love these example? characters.
2: A uh, the uh, film where someone, is, someone well, you love is
0: flayed alive or something? Well, I would say, um, and that's the thing. It's not a character I love, but George Romero in, I'd say, there's not, oddly enough, Dawn of the Dead's not that gory, and he saves the gore for the bikers.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Night of the Living Dead, there isn't a great deal of of gore in that one, but there is the scene of, like, the two young... I think it was very gory for its time, though. Yeah. But, like, Mm, the two young lovers who, we do like them, and they die, and they... They blow up and then we see the zombies like eating their innards. And I think that's supposed to be that's supposed to be appropriately like, oh, then Day of the Dead comes along. Oh, yeah. And while admittedly, the, the military guys, we don't like them. But I think George Romero is somebody who appreciates. I think he values life. But part of me feels like he's cheapening that it's like I value life of the people I like. Meanwhile, uh, Captain Rhodes over here can get ripped in half by zombies mm-hmm. and then say "choke on them," you know, <laughs> to the zombies uh, by choke on them. The "um" is his guts. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It's in that moment I get some some kind of a mixed signal. I feel like he he sort of and I like George Romero, but I right. feel like he wants to have it both ways.
3: I, I think that the answer to your question is just I think it's going to be context based. It's just going to depend on the film. I mean, there's there's films where gore is is nothing but. Uh, exploitation and there's mm-hmm. films where it's interesting, you know, where it heightens something.
0: You know what? I've I've got one. This is not a horror movie, but I, I for, and I forget. I was talking about it with uh, our blogger Kyle Anderson. We were talking about the Lost World Jurassic Park mm-hmm. and the death of Richard Schiff. I never saw it. I don't remember it. Spoilers.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Toby Ziegler dies. Did you got? Were you guys West Wing fans? No. No. Okay. His character's name was Toby Ziegler. Yes. Both,
0: it's the same character. <laughs> um, the the White House uh, communications chief. He goes to the Lost World and gets torn in half by two T Rexes. Sure, that's not really true. That's not really true. But man, it, it'd be awesome if it wasn't. <laughs> um, that's a movie I'd see. But the uh, but he he is he basically sacrifices himself, uh, and it's a really heroic moment. And then like two T-Rexes come along and I understand the movie's PG-13 so you can't get close in mm-hmm. but the it's a wide shot and you see partially because you need it to be wide because there's two T-Rexes there but one of them grabs him flings him in the air gets him with his jaws the other one gets the other side of him with his jaws and then they rip him in half and that's pretty horrible. Like it's it's and, it, and it's very like like it it was jarring to me. Mm-hmm. And as time has gone on, I've I've come to realize that I always thought that scene with I don't know if Spielberg even meant for this to happen, but I feel like it revels a little bit in like the way in which he's like just just ripped in half, and the way uh, the way the lawyer is killed in the first Jurassic Park.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Compare that to. Robert Shaw and Jaws, and I mentioned that just because that actually did come up in the conversation I was happy, having with uh, with my friend. Um, that one, you're close in. You feel his horror. It's from his point of view. It's terrifying. However, the lawyer and then R- Richard Schiff in The Lost World, it's almost like it's told from the T-Rex's point of view, in which case – there's almost joy in it, right? right, right, right maybe right. even a bit so of a comedy pl-
4: in it. for the sort of pagan reveling of being like, <laughs> hey, we've sacrificed someone to appease us.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. I remember always being disturbed by that because we've gotten to know Richard Schiff, and uh, and I was saddened by his death, but saddened even more by the way his death was treated. Sort of the unceremonious kind of
4: um, I'm, very distanced.
0: I'm okay with a matter-of-fact kind of thing, mm-hmm. but... It's it's I don't know it's treated in kind of like oh badass <laughs> right,
4: right 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 you know well and I would, I, I would uh, what about what would you say about like the the deaths in something like Predator like the Carl Weathers death scene because that's a very stylized yeah um, approach to it but at the same time I wouldn't say it's necessarily like I still feel like I'm aligned with Carl Weathers here I am too and that's a
0: bummer for get say, we, get a close of, a, we get a close up of we get a close-up of his face. Blood coming out of his mouth, screaming. That's mm-hmm. him. But, That's you know, his point of view. The way
3: that predators playing with his prey makes the gore appropriate. I think it really – it's a case-by-case basis where mm-hmm. – I mean I'm a, I'm partially a fan of gore because I've been into horror movies my whole life. So I've got like a nostalgia for the days of mm-hmm. super gore. Um, but I think from a, on a case-to-case basis, it's just a question of whether or not it's appropriate. In mm-hmm. Predator, it's definitely appropriate.
1: Yeah,
0: I think so.
3: so well, we've been
1: – Okay. We've been like in wrap-up mode for about 25 minutes, and I have to, <laughs> and I have to be somewhere another 25 minutes. So okay. we should probably uh, see this thing through. Uh, <laughs> but um, you guys, thanks so much for being here. Yeah. Thank um, you for having us. Yeah, thank you for once having again. Us. Entrance, if you live in the Los Angeles area, entrance will be playing uh, Friday, May 18th at Downtown Independent. Uh, but also, if you live anywhere in the free world, <laughs> or at least in America, I guess uh, available on on multiple on demand platforms also on that same day, yes, and uh, definitely highly recommended by battleship pretension. I think when I, I, I think it 's yes, clear at this point we 're not much. just saying that because you guys are here we 've talked about the film right. a great deal over the past year, um, so definitely check that out. Um, otherwise you can find me and Tyler and other other writers writing reviews at battleship uh, where you can also listen to the podcast or, or you can do so on iTunes you can email us David at dot com or Tyler at dot com follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash the pretension and follow Tyler on Twitter at twitter.com slash more lessons which is the official Twitter of his other podcast more than one lesson which you can find at more than one or in iTunes and you can find my other podcast the weekly television review show previously on at previous on show.com or in itunes patrick and dallas where can people find you on the internet <laughs> um, you can find me at patrick horvath on twitter if you want to get a hold of me in there
3: um i don't have a twitter but i've got a facebook account okay uh or entrance does so you could look for okay. entrance on facebook um other than that entrance really is the main thing we're peddling i don't mm-hmm. i just i don't have a twitter or anything
1: is there an entrance twitter
3: N- no. Okay. Should, should should we make one? Sure.
2: Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a lot uh, of fun.
3: <laughs> but uh, there is the infant's Facebook page, so okay. if you look for for that, we'll we'll probably put some news on there and whatnot. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. Definitely check that out. And uh, thank you guys again for being here, and thank everyone at home for listening. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.